1: They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Victory Drive. Uh, This week, very special guest in. We are talking with Tony Smotherman. Uh, Tony Smotherman, he is the... Oh fuck me. I should really know his title better. But he's like the in charge of uh influencer affairs or whatever you want to call it. He's like a marketing guy for Bergara Rifles and CVA. He works for BPI Outdoors. They are the, the uh they're the mother of those two companies and we talk mainly about Bergara Rifles this on this episode. Uh, we talk about some new stuff that they have coming down the pipeline, and uh, do, 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 yeah, all sorts of fun stuff from Bergara. We kind of touch—we touch quite a bit on how Bergara got started, how Tony got started with Bergara, and what he's done in his past, and all sorts of fun shit. Uh, it's a great episode. I love love talking with Tony. He's our, like man. I got all sorts of Southerners coming on here. He's a, another Southerner, I believe, from Tennessee. And he's just a great dude, easy talking to, knows his shit. He's been in the game for a long time and not saying that he's old, but he's been doing this for quite a while. So he knows what he's talking about and he's been with Bergara for a long time. Really, honestly, since like the beginning. Um, so fun, fun conversation with Tony. Uh, I'm just going to let go ahead and get right into it, let you guys figure it out from here so on to our partners at Victory Drive Podcast, we've got uh, Mountain Ops, code VICTORY for 20% off for all of your supplement needs. And they've also got some pretty badass apparel, honestly. They got some pretty cool, like, merino long sleeve shirts and um, all sorts of fun stuff there. They Really nice shorts. I haven't gotten any yet. I should get some some of their apparel, but they've got really nice looking apparel on Mountain Ops, as well as awesome supplements. Uh, Honestly, some of the best tasting pre-workout I've ever had. Uh, Yeti tastes pretty fucking good, especially for a pre-workout. I've I've ingested some pretty shitty pre-workouts in my life. Uh, Just being, you know, in the army, working out, trying to get my pump on there. And, uh, especially in Kuwait, we didn't really have access to some, to really good supplements, um, there, but I experimented quite a bit with pre-workouts and shit. And there's some really nasty ones out there. Uh, Mount, everything I've had from mountain ops, I've had their Yeti which is what I'm using right now for pre-workout and Yeti mode. I use that last round. It's so a little bit more hardcore, uh, pre-workouts. Not, I will say this, it's not near as hardcore as some of the other shit I've taken in my life. But it's just good, solid, pick-me-up before going to the gym. And uh, they got all sorts of other stuff, um, good stuff there. You know, you want some protein, some BCAAs, whatever you want. Uh, they got it at Mountain Ops. They're helping them conquer hunger by using code VICTORY for 20% off. All right. And we also got Grizzly Coolers, the leader in hard side coolers. Um, they're also... Got really, really nice soft side coolers. The Drifter Series, badass. They got some really badass uh, roller coolers now, too. Uh, just a great, great company. Outdoorsmen like me and you out there killing the cooler game. Uh, I should get one of them on and talk about the backstory of Grizzly because they have a pretty interesting backstory, too, and they're right down the road in Decorah. So, you know, American-made, American brand, Iowa brand. So, uh you looking for a new Cooler. Check out Grizzly Coolers. Use code WCB for 15% off. That is code WCB for 15% off. Also, we got Africa, August 26th through September 3rd. If you guys are interested in Africa, come on. Let me know. It's going to be a good, 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 good time. Uh... Holy shit, guys. I apologize. If you can hear some music in the background, I really do apologize. I just heard it coming across my headset. Uh, my daughter, she's fucking with Alexa, and she puts these, she put this dumbass um, alarm on. It goes off at fucking, I guess, 6, 10 every day. And I don't know why. I just need to break that piece of fucking shit or something. Um, what was I talking about? Africa. Let me know if you want to go, gun or bow. We don't discriminate here at Victory Drive. Uh, I'm going to be using a gun. I'm going to take my Ruger M77 Hawkeye in 30-06. And hopefully I can down myself a nice Akudu and some other fun Plains game while in Africa. Wyoming Bear Camp, May 27th through the 31st. That is pretty fucking full. So I might be able to weasel in another spot or two. But if you guys are interested in Wyoming Bear Camp, still let me know. We can get you... Worst case scenario, we get you scheduled in, scheduled in for next year, and you'll have the whole year to save up 2500 bucks and tax terming bills. So uh, let me know if you're interested in Wyoming Bear Camp as well. That is gun or bows also, but from what I've heard from the guys and everyone else, Wyoming Bear Camp is kind of, it's more of a gun game. So if you want to try your hand with a, with bow and arrow, you definitely can. We'd do have some spots for stands and shit like that, but I'll be using a gun in Wyoming bear camp as well. Um, and that's pretty much about it. I really hope you guys enjoy the episode with Tony Smotherman and let me know. I'll Hey, I, I'm going to put this out there. I'm gonna start doing this every week because this does really, really help me. And it's not that fucking hard for you guys to do it. And I, it just warms my soul whenever I see him and read them. But on Apple Podcasts, if you want to, Write a review in for me. I will read them. I actually read them, and I appreciate it. I love everything you guys say, even if it's hurtful sometimes. It's okay. I don't mind. It's nice. You're going to leave me a five-star rating, write a, re- write a review, wherever you're listening at, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, just on the web, I don't know, wherever you listen to, if you want to leave me a five-star rating and a written review if you can. I really, really do appreciate that stuff. Really does help. Uh, and also, yeah, interact with me on socials. Let me know how I'm doing. And on to the episode, Tony (laughs) Smotherman. Tony Smotherman, how you doing? Shoot, man, any better? I couldn't stand it. How about you? <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I like that. You Southerners have a lot of really funny sayings I just fall in love with every time I talk to someone from the South.
0: Man, uh, I'll give you another one. I got them stacked up like cordwood.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's it, it's, it, it's kind of fun because I've, uh, I've done my podcast with probably... I guess three three different people from the South now in the past like month. So I don't know why for some for some reason I've been getting a lot of Southerners on lately, and didn't really didn't didn't even really realize it until now. So
0: I, I'm not sure if that's good or bad, but I appreciate it. Oh, it's great.
2: That's the other thing about Southerners. I love it's like on a podcast. It's really not hard to keep the conversation going. You, you guys, oh my gosh, you gotta you gotta tell us when to stop. That's
0: what you gotta do. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's great honestly for being the host of a podcast. It's really great to just kind of let it go and <laughs> just let you guys know. Well, it's great. You sure don't have to drag conversation out of us. I'll just tell you that right now. Yeah. No, no, no. You sure don't. And I, I don't know if it's uh, for some reason. Sometimes with Northerners, they get a little shy, and it's like it's like pulling teeth trying to get them to talk a little bit. So, but it's good.
0: Uh, well, we should be good tonight then.
2: Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> all right well uh, tony we so we connected uh what I don't know probably six or seven months ago, and we were supposed to like we were trying to set up a podcast a while ago, but then it was like kind of fell right into a busy season and life gets in the way and stuff, but I'm really glad to have you on now and get a moment of your time to talk about some some stuff so do you wanna just go ahead and get into like just talk about your background quick like where you work and what yeah. you do and all that stuff?
0: yeah you bet you bet so um so I've been in the hunting industry or the outdoor industry uh pretty much most of my life. I kind of started out as an outdoor rider um when I was just out of high school, so nineteen years old or so, I started becoming an outdoor rider. um you know, I kind of knew that that I wanted to be in the outdoor industry uh I, and I'm not sure to be honest with you, if there was an outdoor industry at the time that we know today. um I did grow up obviously from the South. So I grew up hunting and fishing. That's kind of part of what I did, but I, I don't do it or I didn't do it in the capacity that we all think about today. And, and of course, when we think about hunters uh, today, we think about uh, obviously white deer, turkey, elk, moose, uh, muleys, Um But I grew up as a coon hunter, um, which has
3: hmm.
0: always been a big thing in the South. So my dad was a houndsman. Um, I grew up with 30 coon hounds. Uh, that I had to feed water twice a day there on our farm and and um, at night we ran coons every night and that's kind of how uh back at that time that's kind of how we well, basically supplemented our our living um, was the fur trade scenario and back then uh, a big coon uh, would bring twenty five to thirty dollars depending on how good the pelt was depending on what time of year that you harvested a coon obviously if it was deep winter early early season or whatever but um, so my job as a young man was I walked through the woods with a light on my head and a sharp pocket knife and a pocket full of bunny bread sacks. And bread my dad was, yeah, yeah huh. bunny bread sacks. That was our thing. Bunny bread was the deal back in the day and uh, when I was a young man. And um, uh, we used those to uh, put the pelts in once we harvested a coon. When the coon hit the ground, or my dad would shoot the coon out, the coon would hit the ground. Uh, I would jump in with a sharp knife and go to skinning the coon and pull the pelt off of him and, and then put that pelt in the bunny bread sack. And then once we got home at night, uh, we would put all the full bunny bread sacks in a freezer. And then once a year we went to what they call a uh, fur trade day and that's where we'd sell our pelt. So I grew up, um, I guess it was in a poor, more poor, a poor part of time, if you will, <laughs> to where that, um, you know, 25, 30 bucks went a long ways. And I know, I know today that does not, uh, that buy, buy you a, a pack of chewing gum, maybe a bag of chips and a small Coke. It doesn't, doesn't go too far, uh, today, but mm-hmm. back in the day, it went a long ways. And you know, if we shot, uh, whatever the number would be 150, 200 coons a year, then you just multiply that times 25 or $30. And obviously you got kind of the math that we come up with. So it helps supplement uh, our living, but I kind of got away from that in high school, uh, because, um, deer started becoming a thing for me and actually what what actually tripped my trigger or flipped the switch for me to get away from coon hunting and going into deer hunting was when we coon hunted my dad was a big safety buff and we only were allowed to coon hunt with single shot 22 rifles and uh that was a model I say it was a Winchester model 67 and 67A that we coon hunted with all the time that was a single shot 22 so growing up the gun or caliber that I knew was a 22 hmm. and most times 22 short. Sometimes the big one would come out and we'd shoot a 22 long. Oh boy. Uh, You're cooking oh, that, oh, aren't I you? I mean, yeah, <laughs> super achiever. But I met, a I met a kid in high school that had a, he had a 30 six. And I remember now this is when you could actually bring guns to school and it wasn't an issue. Uh, but he, I remember him having a 30 off six shell casing um, loaded live around uh, in FFA, which is uh, Future Farmers of America. That was a big class that we were in. And mm-hmm. he, he'll remember him showing it to me, and he was talking about going to sight in his deer rifle after school. And I'm like, dude, what is that? He said, oh, it's a thirty out 6 And I'm like, it looks like a young missile. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I've never seen a bullet that big in my life. So that intrigued me because it's kind of the Tim, the tool man, Taylor scenario where bigger is better. <laughs> yep, And we looking at a 22 short my whole entire life of whatever it was, 14, 15, 16 years old, and he showed me a 30-06 shell, uh, I knew whatever that uh, was uh, a part of, I wanted to be a part of it. Um, so I got into deer hunting after that, and then um, just soon thereafter, I knew that, you know, it, it kind of changed my life where it, uh, uh, to be honest with you, the uh, I got basically just overtaken with the thought of, hunting deer and try to beat them on their own turf mm-hmm. um it, it consumed me to be honest with you which it sounds bad uh in that nature but really actually it saved my life because it kept me out of a whole lot of trouble oh, yeah. um, as you know you know uh 15 16 year old young people are going through a, a big transition in their life and they're trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing and Sometimes they can get wayward, um, and deer hunting stopped me from going through those situations because it captivated every moment of my time trying to figure out how to beat a deer on his own turf. And, uh, it, it saved me really at the end of the day. And I knew that when I got out of high school, I just looked back a little bit and thankfully I had a clear vision that I could see backwards and know that, wow, that this deer hunting stuff saved me. I, I really want to, in essence, promote the outdoors and promote deer hunting. So I started out as an outdoor writer um, trying to figure out um, how to get articles published. And I know this may shock some people to hear this, but there was no Internet and emails and all that stuff back in that day. And so I would have to hand write letters to editors and then send them through the postal service, a.k.a. snail mail, and try to get articles published. So to get an article published instead of a quick email back and forth, it would take sometimes two months to get correspondence back and forth and it was so amazing um to be able to put it sounds weird but to put my adventures into print Mm -hmm. and to tell people what an amazing time that i was having in the outdoors and that it saved me and i i hope someday that those articles could save somebody else and encapsulate them uh, and want them to be in, and want them to take part in the outdoors that I was enjoying so much. And, um, I was writing for a local, uh, publication here in Tennessee, um, which is where I live at now. Um, and I started writing for the publication and, and I've always kind of been a, um, I kind of go get them kind of guy. So, uh, instead of just writing for the publication, um, I, I, I was dreaming of ways to make things bigger, better, stronger. Uh, have a bigger footprint, a bigger voice. And uh, the owner of the publication, uh, I won't say we didn't see eye to eye, but I had bigger plans and bigger vision than what he did. So uh, when I, I guess maybe 21 years old, I just bought the publication. Oh, really? Uh, the owner. Yep, I bought the publication. And uh, and when I, I ran it for 10 years, so I ran it till I was uh, just a little over 30 years old, ran it for 10 years, and when I quit, I had 41 outdoor riders working for me full time. Uh, graphic designers, publishers, and so on and so forth that that helped me along the way, and, and is working full time for us. And um, but while doing that, I was, um, you know, this word that people talk about a lot is pro staffing. Um, back then, it, it it carried more weight than mm-hmm. it does today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was pro staffing for for several different companies in the outdoor industry at that time because I was a writer, so. Uh, I could utilize product and put in my articles and so on and so forth. And I started working for a muzzleloading manufacturer company uh, out of Centerville, Iowa called Knight Muzzloaders or officially known as Knight Rifles. And I started working for those guys um, uh, while I was uh, owning or while I owned our publication and um, it it gave me an opportunity to start writing safety instructional DVDs uh, for those guys because of my writing background. And Hmm. uh, that turned into hosting outdoor TV shows for those guys and, um yeah things kind of went crazy after my mid twenties I really dug into the outdoor industry space very strong with hosting outdoor t v shows um writing and and hosting out- uh instructional DVDs for the night Musloading company um and then uh, ended up selling my publication when i uh, i guess i was thirty two or so and went full time into television uh and hosted outdoor t v shows uh for another 15 or 16 years Hmm. after that. Um, So yeah, I kind of dug into it and went full force into the the industry. And, and I, I kind of say that not to, not to have any of your listeners think that I'm, I'm bragging about (laughs) what I'm doing or what I've done, but more to tell you that I'm just a normal human being with no college education, barely got out of high school, but I really knew what I wanted to do in life. And, it just comes down that if you want to do something like life bad enough, you, in fact, can do it. You just got to want to bad enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, de- and
2: I, I definitely didn't take that as any brag. I mean, for, first of all, I asked you the question about what, what your background was and stuff. So, I mean, that is just encapula- encapsulates all of that. So, I mean, yeah, you bet. That's awesome.
0: So, so yeah, man. So, uh, so currently today, um, uh, since 2009, I work for BP outdoors, uh, which is for our rifles and, uh, CBA. And um, my title here at the Brands now is Head of Influencer Relations. And it's mm-hmm. kind of a big, fancy title. Uh, but really, at the end of the day, um, I work with all the people that I used to be. I handle all of our TV show hosts, um, all of our outdoor writers, magazine owners, editors, publishers, uh, podcasters, anything in media. Um, it's a very easy transition for me uh, to work uh, with our brand in the capacity I do now, because I've stood in everybody's footsteps with the exception of a podcaster. Mind you, (laughs) I've never had my own podcast. Um, but, uh, but I work with folks in the outdoor media space all across, all across the country. Uh, and it's just a really amazing job that I have now because I get to work with people that I used to be. That's, that is awesome. Um, I didn't know all that about the,
2: uh, I guess the publication and stuff, was that just a local publication that you wrote for, or was yep. okay? And then yes,
0: it was uh, so so in the south. A lot of these southern states have so like one of the largest uh, is down in Georgia and it's called Georgia Outdoor News and it's it's a cult down there, man. <laughs> I'm talking about it is a uh, every truck on the interstates in Georgia has a G O N sticker or a Gone sticker in their back window. Uh, they're in every store in Georgia. It is absolutely huge. Uh, and I own the sister company to them, uh, Tennessee Outdoor News, but there's Alabama Outdoor News, Mississippi Outdoor News. It's kind of a thing here in the South, I, I believe.
2: Wow, that's pretty cool. We didn't have anything like that up, uh, up north. All we really had was, uh, Drury Outdoors. So, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. yeah. So, so I, there's a publication in Iowa called Iowa Sportsman. And you're oh, yeah. based out of yep. Iowa, correct?
2: Correct, yes.
0: So yep. I, I wrote the, I had a, I was a columnist in Iowa Sportsman for about five years um, in my late 30s, I, I believe is right, so that have been, um, oh gosh, uh, late 90s up through 2000s. Um, hmm. I wrote a column in, in Iowa Sportsman every month, and it was a loading or a black powder piece uh, every month for years, and and, of course, if you if you guys listen now and you've ever been through the Midwest, you know Casey's is like the thing yes. in the Midwest. <laughs> um, and we were uh, – the Iowa Sportsman was available in every Casey's across the Midwest. So it was a, it was a really cool publication to be a part of because people mm-hmm. who picked it up were like true blue outdoorsmen.
2: Oh, yeah. I, I read a lot of them magazines back in the day, honestly.
0: Oh, my gosh, yeah. man. That Iowa Sportsman is, is awesome, too. But, yes, yeah, so so uh, the, my publication was a statewide publication. We okay. didn't go outside the banks of the state lines.
2: That's awesome, though. That's really cool. That's a really cool way. It seems like that's kind of the way a lot of people in the outdoors have started is they start with writing. And mm-hmm. um, like you were touching on with writing, um, back when you were first getting into it, you were, you were handwriting all of your articles and then mailing them in?
0: <laughs> yep, okay absolutely so how long did it take so, you before you got picked up oh my goodness you know it, it took a minute um yeah. and, and that you know if you if you're if you're if you have dreams and goals in life you know you're trying to push through and you you see this golden nugget this dangling carrot out there um sometimes it sucks trying to find that or get to that goal that you want to get to um and i call it you got to push through the suck mm-hmm. um to, to reap the benefits and and it was probably a, a it was probably a year or so before I got picked up by a, a larger publication, uh, just because the correspondence was so slow. You know, I couldn't just hit you with an email or hit you with a text message. And I know that really dates the absolute crud <laughs> out of me. But, um, you know, he's, you just couldn't hit somebody up with a with a quick message and, and get something back. You literally had to write them a letter and send it to them in the mail and hope they picked it up in the next two weeks, and then they would, Think about it, and then they'd respond back. So it was a month before you got anything back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, but but lucky for me, uh, obviously here in the South, outdoors is a, is a big thing. Um, and with the the state-run publication or the statewide publication that I started writing for, I happened to be in the same area uh, that the publication was already being uh, published in and printed in. So it was pretty easy for me to work through some people to figure out who owned the publication and, and make a connection. And um, obviously local publications are a whole lot easier to write for than, than a national publication. But mm-hmm. I started with the, the statewide just because it was quick. And then I could utilize that as my, uh, I guess as my platform Then I could send my, I call them tearaways. So basically an article that I, article that I would publish and it would come out in print the following month. I could tear away the pages that it was on, put that in an envelope and send it to a larger publication and going, Hey, here's an article that I would like to write about. Here is who I am. I'm already in print in uh, my state publication. So it shows some solidity for me. Um, So that helped open doors a little quicker because I was already in print, but it still was a slow moving process.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, um, even in today's day, I mean, articles written articles are still very popular but it, d- it just seems like the the printed word is kind of going in the way of the dodo bird is what it kind of seems like it's like everything's online now and then with the rise of podcasting and um videos and youtube and other like visual outdoor media it seems like that's really taken hold um the outdoor space it's, it seems like a lot and especially like with podcasting It's a whole different volume cuz it, it's still f- uh, fairly new venture in, especially the outdoor space, it seems like uh, new technology seems to creep in the outdoor space a little bit slower than uh, in other spaces. But, um, just, is that kind of, does that kind of seem like the, the trend? Like if you were, okay, if you were a young, talking to a young man and he wants to get into the outdoor industry, like kind of like you, he has the passion all this other stuff. Would you coach him and be like, you know, Hey, get into writing. Is that still like the best gateway into this space or do you think it'd be in other ventures?
0: You know, so that's a very valid question. And, and so like in, in, in my background, obviously I kind of told you what I, or how I started and and what got me here today, but I'm having to change that quite a bit um, of what I know to new areas that I don't. So I'm having to grow and learn as as you guys are growing and learning with podcasting and, and blogging and YouTubing and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, you know, I would love to say the power of the pen is still strong mm-hmm. and it, it is strong, but it's not as strong. Uh, we still work with quite a few publications across the country and, uh, get a lot of great feedback from these publications. You know, I, when, when I sold my publication, um, uh, we already started that trend of all oh, print media is dying. Um, so it, it didn't scare me, but it seemed like the right time for me to sell to another publication. that wanted to buy me out. Um, mm. uh, but, but I look back and I'm like, man, you know, whew, Georgia Outdoor News, North American Whitetail, Deer and Deer Hunting, um, NRA, NRA Publications. You look at them and uh, I've heard every year that print media is going away, but I still look at these publications and they're still cranking down just like they were 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so So I think there is. I think there is still a, a population and I'm, I'm sure it's age specific uh, that leans towards reading a hard publication. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is an age structure that would prefer to pick up their phone and read something online or look at a YouTube video. Uh, but I will tell you as a, a company man now, um, obviously switch roles here and I'm looking at folks that I work with versus me being the guy I want to work with the company. Uh, I look at it now and for us, um probably the best avenues if I was gonna to talk to a young man today that had a, a driving passion to be an in outdoor industry would be doing exactly what you're doing. Uh podcasting is super strong. We we as a brand um are oh my gosh, we're studying podcasts very hard. Um there's a lot of positives to it. So if I wrote a really amazing article today and put it in North American Whitetail magazine, um, or a Western Hunter magazine. If we were talking about elk, or mule deer, or, or a Western species, I can't. I can't. For, as a company man, I can't look at your article and go, "Oh man, 872,000 people read your article." That's an awesome piece. But I can get information about how many people download a podcast and how many people look at a YouTube channel. Because it's positive numbers that can't be altered, basically. Um, So we're studying YouTube and podcasting very hard because it is, I mean, it takes a little time and effort uh, and a little bit of money to buy the proper podcasting gear uh, and a a proper video camera to do YouTube stuff. I mean, I know you can do it on your phone, but you still still really to be good at, you need wireless mics and things like that. And you got to have a little bit of editing software to do YouTube. So it still takes a little bit of investment. Uh, but not a lot. But it is a quick way to get seen or, and or heard. And a company that you are talking to can look at you and go, oh, yeah, you've had so many downloads or you had so many people uh listen um this month. It's it's really positive numbers. And like in the TV world, it's super expensive to get into TV. Uh, I had my own television show for five years. Um, and I think my annual budget was a half a million dollars to produce that show. Uh, Beats. Yes. This Oof, money. Yeah, for a sure. A uh, lot of money. Um, you know, and know that's, ca- that's camera, uh, camera operators and videographers and travel and hunting license and production crew and things like that. So it does get pretty expensive. So if I was going to jump into the world today, it would be absolutely what we're doing right here mm-hmm. tonight. Yeah. Podcasting and doing YouTube.
2: Yep. <clears throat> it's a, uh... It's really interesting because, um, I mean, just in my lifetime, it, um, me personally, I, I love writing. I, I really do enjoy it. I've never written a, a pub, a, a, like actual published article. I've written, uh, a few articles for Deercast with the Drury Outdoors Deercast. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, so I'm getting in that a little bit and, uh, has met with Mark Drury a while back with, uh, Kurt Geyer and the Working Class Boner podcast guys when did a, Recorded with Mark Drury a while back and I was talking to him and he's like, man, you ever get in writing? I'm like, uh, not, not really. I've always enjoyed it, but I just never done it. And he, he mentioned that like, well, you should write for Deercast, So I started writing for them a little, little bit. Um, so that's really cool. I actually, that's this the first time I ever said that on the podcast. Uh, cause they, I sent a few in and talked with, talked with them and stuff. And, um, I don't think they've came out yet, but no, that, that's, um, one different realm. It's but it's kind of seems like writing is way is much more prevalent online. But I mean, me personally, I still enjoy getting like magazines every once in a while and actually oh, yeah, flipping dude. down. Like it's one thing like to read something on your phone and do that thing. But it's a whole nother thing to grab a magazine. And usually they sit by my shitter and, uh, you know, do my business in there. And it's like, it's just nice mm-hmm. picking up a magazine flipping the pages and you know, all that. It's just kind of a different,
0: I it's, guess it's tangible. Around. Yeah,
2: exactly. It's tangible. It's tangible. It's in your hands, Yeah.
0: Yes. Yep. But, yep. So, so I don't know if it'll ever go away or not. I hope not. I mean, this, I uh, it's a good staple of outdoor communication, but, um, but I think, uh, I think you're on the right path and then the YouTubers of the world are definitely on the right path. Cause mm-hmm. I, I know some you, YouTubers that make a very good living. Oh yeah. Uh, creating content. And you know, if you have a little bit of technical skills, which of course the, the, um, the folks i uh, say the young people of today uh, have pretty much everything at their, well, in the palm of their hand, their phone, AKA computer, um, that they can do everything on that thing. And, mm-hmm. um, if you're, if you're diligent at it, there's guys that make a very good living doing it. Yep. That The
2: one thing that bothers me about the whole YouTube thing is I've, I've thought about getting into that more. I'm like, Hey, maybe, maybe I should focus, put my focus more on the, some YouTube stuff and, doing this podcast and all that um, jazz. But the thing that bothers me about YouTube is their guidelines, like their rules
3: absolutely Mm,
2: suck. Like they absolutely suck, especially for a guy like me. Like I'm running a a firearms podcast and I want to do firearms and hunting content. And YouTube is they're really hammering down on for one gun content and for two hunting content. So it's like, Mm -hmm. do I really want to give my time and put my time and effort into a, Into a company like YouTube that's gonna, that maybe doesn't necessarily understand what I'm trying to get across and what I'm trying to do. And if I put all this time and effort into it, then eventually, what if they just come through and just take it away? You know, I I put all this time and effort into something just to have it taken away. And that's what I love about podcasting because as of right now, people, no one can just come in and shut me down, you know?
0: Oh, okay. Good information. I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah. That's one thing I like why i'm putting a lot of my focus on the podcast for one it's working with working class bow on our podcast guys and everything else Mm -hmm. it's like that's kind of our bread and butter is podcasting and i'm really trying to learn the tools of trade and get in and just keep this thing going because i think having long form conversations about this kind of stuff is for one super beneficial to everyone listening but also it's like no one can come in here and shut me down like people like companies can that we work with, they can pull out. If, if I say something that they don't like, they can pull out and I can lose, I guess, um, partnerships and, you know, potential money coming in that way, but they can't shut me down and say, you can't do this anymore. We're taking away your content. So,
0: yep. Agreed.
2: That's, YouTube that's
0: always been a, yeah, that's always been a fear of mine that, um, and I, and I work with YouTubers now and I've heard those horror stories where they had so many episodes put up and, uh, Somebody somewhere went through their YouTube channel and evaluated their content and didn't like whatever, 35 episodes, and they yanked every one of them down. And they were mm-hmm. gone. Yep. All that time and effort and money put into it, and they were gone before you say don't do it. I mean, like right now.
2: Click on. Mm-hmm. gone. Yep. Or I mean, best case scenario, they make a different rule, and then they tell you, like, hey, this is flagged, this is flagged, this is flagged. So you have to go through and do a whole lot more work in order to cover a bunch of that stuff up. But then that also covers up the authenticity of what you're trying to produce. So it's like Mm -hmm. you play by the rules, then you lose authenticity, then you try covering certain things up. Then people, especially hunters and stuff and gun guys, like we see that it's pretty evident what you're doing. And I understand why they're doing it. That's their livelihood, but it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that it's now a watered down version of what it was or what it was supposed mm-hmm.
3: to be. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, one thing. In this podcast, uh, like, have...
2: I don't, I don't water anything down. I speak, you know, the way I speak and, you know, generally that involves a lot of cussing and just talking like how I talk, you know, I've sure. been 10 plus years in the, or almost 10 years in the military and everything else. It's like, in working blue collar jobs, we talk a little differently than certain other, other folks. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, bro.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but i do know for a fact like my main like i'm uh partnered with working class bow hunter and i know kurt and eric they're not gonna come in and say damn like, man jake you probably shouldn't have said that we're gonna yank you now and you're done you know so yeah like but even then if they if that were to happen which i know it would never happen but if for some reason something like that happened it's like i can just do my own thing like no one as far as I know, not yet, unless the government gets involved. No one can just, like, shut down podcasting because I say something that's kind of fucked up or something like that.
0: So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah,
2: yeah. You know, keeps that's it more authentic, it, I think.
0: It does, and you don't have to, to light foot around somebody's feelings. You can just say it like it is.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and you never know who you're going to get on as a guest. Maybe they have some, you know, <laughs> some uh, colorful takes on things, and you don't—you want— Whoever you have on as a guest, as well too, to be comfortable and say what they want to say and all the other stuff too. I'm not saying that I wouldn't, you know, disagree with certain things, but you know, at least they can say it and we can have an honest conversation.
0: Yep, yep, that's good.
2: Yeah, yeah. That, I don't know. That's just kind of my little spiel on like the whole outdoor industry. I, I've never, I've, I've never been in the outdoor industry. This is my first kind of delve into it and i mean i'm just starting so it is what it is but you know being hooked up with working class bow hunter that definitely helps a lot and i honestly i i had a podcast before and it was like a political podcast i did with my brother and a, a friend of ours and that was just for fun like something that we did basically just once a week got together and drink some beer and talk shit so it's like that was fun oh. that was fun in, its, in itself but um when i met kurt and eric and the boys that. WCB, you know, Kurt came to me. He's like, Hey, we really want to start doing a firearms podcast, but, um, we don't know shit about guns. So would you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, that, was, that sounds great. So, Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds like a good time to me. I love talking guns and I love talking hunting. So, I mean, that's a perfect fit. So yeah.
0: Well, man, let's, let's talk some guns and how let's about that? that sounds yeah. like a pretty good segue right there.
2: Oh uh, yeah. So BPI, you, that's who you work mm-hmm. with now. Um, mm-hmm. So they're the parent company of CVA and Bergara. That is correct. Okay. Yes, sir.
0: Um, and, and BPI, BPI originally, uh, Bergara is a, uh, we'll say a, a, a fledgling of what we started with. We actually started as BPI, that's black powder incorporated uh, just because our whole background from 1971 was CVA. Uh, CVA stands mm-hmm. for Connecticut Valley arms, which is where it originally started and. It got sold a few times through the 70s and 80s and ended up down in Georgia, of all places. Um, so it's not CVA, Connecticut Valley Arms, per se, anymore, but uh, we still run under that name because it's been a longevity uh, name and branded name for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Bagara came along in, in 2014. Uh, okay. and, and actually, it all started, but the Bagara name started uh, was for the sheer fact of uh, we needed a barrel manufacturer. At one time, our, our barrel manufacturing facility, uh, or the people that we were using, I'll say it went defunct, but they, it just kind of went away. So we were in search of somebody to build barrels for us. And uh, we did a ton of research. Uh, and, of course, obviously, barrels are made of steel. Uh, and if you do any research uh, on steel manufacturing, the purest steel in the world, that's a big, that's a big word. That's a big statement. The world, mm-hmm. the purest steel in the world comes from Bagara, Spain, the the Basque region of Spain. Uh, so basically we went to Bagara, Spain to, to look into, uh, building our own barrel making facility, not because we wanted to go, you know, uh, over the big water or try to be cheap and cut corners. Um, we went to where the best steel was available. Uh, and we landed in Bagara, Spain and, uh, Bagar Spain is a pretty unique uh, town and area where uh, a lot of that uh, region, the big industry is firearms manufacturing that dates back into the 1700s. Uh, and I'm talking like, you know, hand-built side-by-side, ha- exposed hammer, shotguns, and things of that nature. Uh, so we went to where the steel was the best, the purest and cleanest steel that we could get our hands on for barrel making, and it just so happens... That they also had the best craftsmen and tradesmen for what we wanted to do, and that's firearms manufacturing. Mm. So we started building. We started building barrels under the Begara brand uh, just to um, put barrels on our muscle loaders under the CVA brand.
2: So real quick, did BPI start Begara, or mm-hmm. was it a manufacturer that's already been there and you guys started working mm-hmm. with them? Oh, so no, B- no,
0: no, that's what i was saying. We started. Oh. We started building. We started building barrels. Just because okay. we need the barrels for our
2: orders. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I've known of Bergara barrels for quite a long time. It's probably, mean you know, it's obviously because of CVA and stuff. And I've always, I've had a the same CVA wool for a long time. Um, but, oh yeah, yeah. But because um, I guess I didn't, I just didn't know for, for some reason. I didn't realize that BPI started Bergara. I thought it was his yeah. own separate entity, and then it just morphed into one. I guess. But I, okay, that's that's awesome.
0: Yeah, we started basically out of sheer necessity, which is yeah. how inventions typically start, if you will. Um, we just needed barrels for the muzzle loaders, and and then we got to building them, and we realized that after building our facility, and 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 so we obviously were not into barrel manufacturing, so we had to tie up with the right people that knew how to make barrels the proper way. And if you know, if you're into shooting and 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 uh, people that hold a lot of world titles for long range shooting. Uh, one name that that comes up to the top all the time is Ed Schilling.
3: Mm-hmm. Um Ed,
0: Ed Schilling uh uh produces uh, Schilling rifle barrels that we all know pretty well. Uh, so we hired Ed Schilling uh, as a consultant for us, uh, obviously because he's a barrel maker. Right. So we had we had we hired Ed Schilling because he knows barrels and he already uh, makes barrels at the time. And we took him over to Spain and showed him where we where we wanted to build a facility and why we wanted to do it there. Uh, And he helped us hands-on as a consultant to build our barrel-making facility. And once we got that finished up and we were, you know, a couple years into running these barrels uh, on our muzzleloaders, we realized that they were pretty special. Uh, that They were next-level barrels. And and before you know it, we started doing a lot of OEM manufacturing. So we started making barrels for a lot of other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you – if you sit down at a gun store and you looked at a lot of gun manufacturers or at least the top end ones that are, that are on the shelf, uh, we probably made barrels for them at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the Vigar name, it's starting to, or it, in the mid 2000s, it started being known as a barrel manufacturer. Um, we were studying the market and it's kind of like the, um, I'm, I'm sure you guys, everybody that listens to the podcast knows Vortex. Well, Vortex come into the market when the market was flooded with amazing optic manufacturers. Um, and when they come out and when, when they started being uh, more visible, a lot of people was like, man, you know, is there really a space for another optics manufacturer? We have Lupo, Swarrow, Collis, Bushnell, you know, and the list goes on and on and on. Mm-hmm. And they proved because they brought an amazing product to the market for an affordable price. They basically carved their own niche and now everybody knows Vortex. Yep. Um, and that's kind of the way we were. We were kind of uh, studying the market, and there were a lot of good manufacturers, uh, firearms on the market, but we felt because of our manufacturing horsepower, number one, we owned the barrel manufacturing facility, which is the last thing your bullet ever sees, um, so it needs to be awesome. And, and we were making awesome barrels, and we thought, well, we already have the biggest piece of the puzzle figured out, and that's barrel making. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should enter the world of firearms manufacturing. Um, and, and I remember going to the first SHOT Show, uh, I believe it was, uh, 2009, maybe with a Bagara barrel display. So if you know SHOT Show, SHOT Show stands for shooting, hunting, outdoor trade show, which is where all the big players go to, to introduce new product in the hunting and shooting space, uh, for the year. So that's like, that's game day basically for mm-hmm. a manufacturer. And we, when we went there the first time, I walked into the Shot Show, the world's largest trade show. Our booth, I had in a briefcase. That was our booth. <laughs> I had I had four barrels in a clear lexane looking barrel stand. That that was our booth.
2: Um, <laughs> That's awesome.
0: And and then in twenty, uh, as we and once we did that, then of course things are really exploding for us. Um. And then once we got up to like 2012, we thought, man, we really, really ought to try this, this farms manufacturing space out just to see if there's a spot for us. So we, uh, in 2012, we introduced our Bagara custom line. So we, uh, we would outsource our stocks, our trigger assemblies. Uh, we would have somebody build action for us. I think our first actions were defiant actions. Oh, that's, and then, yeah, that's a solid action to go with. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> super solid. And so, basically, we, we hired some guys um, to be our gunsmiths. And and the what's really amazing and cool about Bagar, in my opinion, is all of our gunsmiths that work in our facility there in Lawrenceville, Georgia, are all ex-military gunsmiths. Hmm. So, basically, we hired all these guys out of Quantico. Once they retired from the military as a gunsmith, we brung them to our facility in Lawrenceville and uh, put them to work in our facility as a gunsmith. Um, so we have the best gunsmiths trained by the best people the world knows. Um, so we started using these guys to build these custom guns under the Begar brand. And uh, it, it was, it's an exceptional success. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason, the reason I say that is, it's like that was about the time when everybody was talking, man, I want a custom built gun. I want a custom gun. And, These guns are five or six thousand bucks at the time. And, you know, for a typical custom gun maker, it was about a 14, 16 month turnaround for somebody to build you a custom gun. Mm -hmm. And that was him grabbing a, a a shilling barrel or, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of some of the other barrels that people were using back in the day. But, But nonetheless, they would have to wait on the barrel manufacturers to get barrels to them. And then they'd have to work their actions and true their actions and get their stocks in. So, they basically were piecing things together and it would take quite a long time. But we were able to do that same kind of gunsmithing because of the horsepower, the men we had working for us, our manufacturing facility, we already had in place. Uh, we could do a custom gun build in three weeks Mm. and and because we had everything and and we could manufacture everything. Um, so when we were turning custom built guns down per your order in three weeks, um, it took off like a rocket. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, I bet. So, so we like, oh, noted this, there is a place because people want this. Um, so in 2013, we started working on our first ever production rifles. Uh, and so in 2014, we walked into Shot Show not with a suitcase full of barrels, but we walked in with a pretty decent display with mm-hmm. some really amazing gunsmiths behind the booth and some pretty awesome. First ever production rifles from Bagar. So if you if you understand who Bagar is now, and if you guys go to the gun store and you're starting to recognize the name, because really at the end of the day, we're still a relatively young gun manufacturer. We've been in, we we birthed the first one in 2014. Nope.
2: Oh. Hey Tony, you there? Oh, lost Tony for a minute, a minute here. Let's see, Tony. Tony, can
0: you hear me now? Ah, yeah, got gotcha.
2: you. Lost you for a Oh, wow. I,
0: Sorry, I could hear you the whole time. Oh, could you? Um, okay. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, uh, so we're going into twenty twenty four right now. So we're basically uh, less than ten years old at this moment that we're uh, recording this podcast. So um, it's it's been a pretty amazing journey in a very short period of time.
2: Yeah. No. That's in. Uh, that's. Pretty remarkable honestly, because I think when I first heard of Bergara, it had to have been probably right around 2015 or so. Well, I shouldn't say that's not the, that's not definitely not the first time i heard of Bergara because I've known of Bergara barrels, that's how I knew Bergara before, just because the sure you know, C, from CVA and stuff and everything else. But, um, yeah, when you get started coming on through production line, so I, I guess before we get into the production stuff, how much were you selling the custom guns for when you started up?
0: Oh, I think most of them were around $3,500, give or take. Okay. And of course it, it was based off what a, what a uh, stock, what, you know, at that time we were, let's see, I'm trying to think of the, we were using McMillan stocks quite a bit yep. uh, and it depend on, obviously there'd be some hundred dollar variances here, or there depending on which stock you purchased and things like that. But, uh, so because of the manufacturing horsepower that we had, we could build those custom guns, uh, a year and a half faster than anybody else could, um, and and we had the ability to have all the parts there handy, and we could build them less expensive mm-hmm. because we had all we didn't have to outsource a barrel, we didn't have to outsource uh, somebody machining an action or whatever. We started building all that stuff in house, so it cut a lot of costs, and and basically it was kind of the vortex premise. Yeah, build an amazing product for an affordable price. Um, so if you. Uh, if you're looking at a Begara rifle today, uh, there's two different families, if you will, underneath that name. One is a B-14 series, mm-hmm. and the other is our Premier series. So B-14 stands for Begara 2014, which is when we introduced the first one to SHOT Show. In um, and, and that B-14 series, we build 100% of everything on that gun in our facility in Bagara Spain. We Whoa. build the stock. The trigger assemblies, the bolt, the action, the barrel, uh, the recoil lug, the butt pad. The only thing we don't build is basically the sling swivel studs. <laughs> so that's how we're uh, able to bring an amazing B-14 series or rifle to the market that is extremely affordable because we build everything on it. Hmm. We control everything in it. Um, have our premier... Series side of things, which is basically, um, we'll say it's it's the truck with power windows, door locks, and heated leather seats, if you will. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, the 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 B fourteen is our workhorse, gets it done, one reliable. And our premier series is basically a custom built gun in a semi production environment. And what I mean by that is, because it sounds kind of weird, but what I mean <laughs> by that is, is we have we have one gunsmith in our facility um, that builds a premier and then the gunsmith beside him builds a premier and then the gunsmith beside him builds a premier and they build those guns from start to finish. So one man, if you own a bagar rifle or you're looking to purchase a bagar rifle in the premier series, one man built that gun. Mm, that's amazing. So it's, it's pretty custom built in a semi production environment.
2: No, that's a, actually, once you spell it out like that, it makes a lot more sense. So,
0: (laughs) yep, yep. So, we, so we, um, so we build those barrels, um, at our facility in Spain, ship them over here, and and the difference also between, um, the B14 and the Premier is the Premier series is all stainless steel barrel action. So, Mm -hmm. uh, we ship that stainless steel barrel over here, uh, and, um, then we, we build our actions are also built in Georgia, so we build those right there. And then we put Trigger Tech trigger assemblies on them because a lot of people talk about, well, you know, I want a, an amazing trigger, and, I, and I'm kind of a trigger junkie myself. So, yep. Um, these guys uh, want custom triggers. So these premier guns, we're putting some of the bells and whistles on. Them. That's a custom trigger, uh, a custom stock from Graybo, or, or uh, we use a couple of different manufacturers for carbon fiber. Um, but we uh, grab those stocks and then assemble everything. Then they're in our facility in Lawrenceville, and one gunsmith does that entire process.
2: Mm, okay. That is, that's pretty. So the Premier Series, that's the, that's more of the, I mean, so the B 14, that's more of your traditional hunting rifle ho- look. That's our workhorse. Yeah. Yep. In the Premier Series, that'd be more of like a chassis bolt look.
0: Well, so, so not to contradict that, it so in our B14 line, the workhorses of the world, if you will, we do have uh, the most popular model we've ever made is called an HMR. And HMR stands for hunting match rifle. And it's kind of meant for the guy who wants to kind of get in some of that long range precision shooting stuff, Mm -hmm. but don't want to drop some really big bucks. So, like the HMRs, I think we have been selling them for years for like 11, 1200 bucks. $1, so, uh, very, and of course, that's still a lot of money, but very inexpensive in comparison to other, uh, well, competition rifles, of course.
2: It's really not that. That's, that's, for the, for the rifle that you're getting, I mean, 11, 1200 bucks, that's pretty damn affordable.
0: Oh, it's wicked affordable and has been our flagship forever. So it is kind of set up where it has adjustable length of pull, adjustable cheap piece so people can run, you know, big optics, 34 tubes, 56-millimeter bell in optics. So it's set up as a kind of a crossover. So it looks more like a competition-style gun, not mm-hmm. chassis, but a molded competition-style stock on it, but mm-hmm. also it's still a great hunting gun too. So you can get into some of that competitive look in our B14 line. But also in our premier line, we make uh, some really top-end, super lightweight mountain-style hunting guns. Uh, but we yeah. also do, also do make them in chassis-style uh, setups as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one of our, I guess probably one of our more popular models uh, for the last several years, which is going to go away in 2024 because it's kind of run its course. But we called it the Mountain Rifle, and it was an ultralight number three taper barrel. Super light carbon fiber, uh, hunting style stock on it. Um, but we also make competition guns in that premier side where I'm talking about like full blown comp guns. Yeah. Um, so we kind of cover all gamuts. You know, there's, there's guys that want that B14 line because it's the workhorse and it's a little more affordable, but there's guys want the ones with the power windows and door locks and heated seats. And that's where the premier comes in. And we cover, uh, an umbrella cast, if you will, where. We go from hunting all the way to full comp, and I'm mm-hmm. premier guns. Yeah, and
2: I, just from looking at them. Cause I, I got to be completely honest with you. I've never actually shot a Bergara rifle. I've looked at them. I don't know. i probably looked at them for the past few years, probably at least once a week, just looking. <laughs> so I'm definitely like, – I've always been very interested. I have a really good friend of mine, Landon, Landon Baker. He's been on the podcast a few times, and he's – big into the competition shooting. He does some PRS stuff and some NRL mm-hmm. hunter matches and everything like that. Um, but he started in competition with, uh, regard H- HMR. So,
0: Oh yeah, and, dude, I'm yeah. telling you that right there was like, that was the, that was the path to yep. get a ton of guys into shooting long range because it was affordable and they were able to step into that world to see if they even liked it before they made a big purchase. Yep. Um, so the H- HMR was, was the vehicle for a lot of people to get in long range shooting. It still is today. I mean, yep. it's still one of our flagship models.
2: Yeah. I think he, ended, I think he, his first one was in 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm pretty sure. And mm-hmm. he was shooting, he shot the shit out of that. He said he fell in love with it, you know, and um, he ended up shooting the barrel out. And when he shot the barrel out, he's like, well, you know, he, he's thinking about rebarreling just because he loved the gun so much and all that. But then he ended up just, um, deciding like you know this is what i want to do so he just got a full custom from one of the, the local guys here in our town mm-hmm. um yeah. got a full custom rifle and i think he's shooting that now and that thing that sucker's like it's intense to look at first of all i think it's like 26 pounds it's a yeah, beast most, of a rifle
0: most of the guys get in that they they migrate towards those heavy honking guns you know just oh, yeah. where they can stay on the target for target acquisition after the first round and uh, mm-hmm. not solid to tote around, but definitely built for long range shooting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're intense, but that, that's the number one thing with him is when he decided to build a custom is he wanted a heavy gun just so that he, you know, I don't think the bullet, or I don't think he ever lost a target out of his scope with that heavy of a oh, yeah. rifle. Yeah, and
0: most of those guys, guys. Sorry, most of those guys don't want a a, a lot of muzzle rise. They want no. to stay on target, run the bolt, and keep sending it.
2: Yep, exactly. I think he's on his custom rifling, he's got a defiance action on that and um, all that good stuff, and it, it is a beast of a rifle. But um, when he was shooting with his um, HMR still, I mean, he, he I had him on a podcast a few times, and he just talked that up like crazy because that's exactly what you just said is exactly what he said, too, where he's like, it is the best gun to get into – um, if you want to get into competition, he's like, it's super accurate. It's, um, heavy. It's just heavy enough. You can always add weight or with other little tactics and stuff. And you can add a little, some attachments here and there to make it a little bit heavier mm-hmm. and help that muzzle rise with it. But, uh, he's like, it is, is just an amazing gun. He, he loves it. He, I think he's said he's going to end up buying another one once he gets into hunting again, a little bit more just to take out like, hunting with it. And then also, you know, competitions here and there, especially with NRL Hunter that, um, style of competition is much different than PRS. Like they have,
0: oh yes, absolutely. Much, yeah, we're, much and we're, stricter
2: weight limits and stuff with their rifles.
0: Yep, and we're kind of um, so we have built a new gun here the last couple years called MG Light, um, and MG stands for magnesium. So we're building this um, magnesium chassis um, with a one of our carbon fiber cure barrels on it, mm. and it's a lightweight. Uh, full adjustable cheek piece, full adjustable length of pull, folding stock. I mean, it's almost built specifically for that NRL Hunter style shooting, uh, where you shoot 10 times and pack your gun, your pack, and you haul butt for a mile or half a mile, whatever those distances are, uh, depending on competition, and then fall down on bipods and run it again hard, fast, 10 rounds, and then pick up, run again. And that, that MG light was built specifically for that kind of world, but, mm. Because it is really skeletonized and chassis out and all this kind of stuff. But to be honest with you, um, I, I don't do that. I'm a hunter at the, yep. at the core. Yep. And the, my most favorite gun that we built and have ever built today, uh, with exception of new one we're coming out with for 2024, uh, is the MG Light. It mm-hmm. is, if you ever shoulder and hunt with that sucker, it's hard to go any other direction. Really? Oh my gosh. So for insane.
2: Yeah. Cause like hunting rifles and stuff, I've always just, I don't know, maybe it's just uh, nostalgia or whatnot, but it's like I've always steered more towards like the traditional hunting rifle look where it's like, you know, the, um, just the stocks and the way they're set up and stuff. Like the HMR <laughs> is like the perfect transition between like between the two. But, uh, like those skeletonized, um, chassis and stuff they're super badass but i've always wondered like what it's like to i guess carry them through the through like the mountains and through the brush and if you have to take a standing shot for some odd reason then you know just like that whole feel of it like the old those old school rifles like an old like i just bought a ruger m77 hawkeye and just that that feel it almost feels like a shotgun and that's just how they hunted back in the day was mm-hmm, more like yeah. you know standing shots and stuff of that nature so um i always wondered what was like to hunt with like a chassis style uh, uh rifle and how if the pros and cons i guess you know but well, there's not a lot of people taking standing shots anymore so most of them are in the prone when they're taking their oh, shots nowadays know, yeah, anyways yeah. so yeah.
0: I spend a lot of time out west and and a lot of long range shooting stuff out there. And and I always try to go pro and drop down on a bipod or something like that to make those shots happen Mm -hmm. out there in that area. But the the MG life, you look at it, you go, oh, yeah, total comp gun. But, man, if you ever hold it and hunt with Mm -hmm. it, there's no going back. Damn. All right. It, it, It hurts my feelings to grab a traditional style hunting stock today. That's, uh, that's, you know, because it's kind of like a one size fits all kind of stock. You yes. Kind of get yourself fitted in there and I uh, don't fit this great or whatever, but you still got to run with it. But with these chassis style designs, everything is adjustable. I'm talking mm. about like everything. So it can fit you. Yep. It ain't got to fit the store. It fits you. Mm-hmm. so it, i don't know it's just something about it i can't get away from it the mg is oh my goodness it is romantic damn
2: you know that's funny because i've looked at the mg like quite a bit too and i'm i've always thought I'm like man if i really want to drop a few extra bucks here that'd be the one to get too so, oh it's
0: it's money man it's yeah. money i mean just
2: and just, just the weight savings and stuff too like if i because if i'm using we can't use rifles like that in uh in iowa we can use mm-hmm, yeah. like you know 35 to 500s now um but you know, for out west and everything else, I've really I've really looked in the MG light just because I mean it's it's super light and it looks mm-hmm. re- it looks super I don't know, it just looks sick too honestly. Just- oh, I'm
0: telling, you. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's it's awesome, dude. Yeah. It is so awesome. So so we basically build everything from workhorse to the fancier version per se in that premier series in every uh, fit feel that you could ever want from traditional hunting uh, to modern day chassis stuff. So it's, yeah. it's a really pretty good palette of stuff.
2: Well, and the biggest thing for me, um, being like a blue collar guy, I don't, I, you know, I'm not, I, I was, wasn't born into a bunch of money and I don't you know, work a job that pays me a shit ton of money either. So it's like Bergara in itself. I've heard this from so many different people and I, you know, eventually I will get my hands on a Bergara rifle and shoot it and, um, be able to speak better firsthand knowledge, but just talking to some guys that I really trust, like, dude, you'd be hard pressed to find a gun that shoots like this for cheaper. Like, it's just, you're not, you're just really not going to. And like what it shoots, that's what everyone's saying that I've talked to. They're like, it shoots like a custom gun. Like all the, mm-hmm. all the Bergara rifles, whether it's the B 14 Down to the, or anything from the Premier Series, um, and everything else. There's like, it shoots like a a custom rifle. It feels good, shoots good, and it's accurate as hell. So, oh my gosh. Like the accuracy for that, that's first and foremost of anyone that is shooting rifles. Like, you want an accurate rifle. And a lot of people like to tout tout the, you know, sub MOA, um, you know, accuracy of any rifle, especially with, um, certain companies and the way they market certain things. Like, oh yeah, sub sub MOA accuracy and everything else. Then you get it and you're not seeing that. With everything, but, um, you know, and that's every-
0: kind of become, um, you know, back in the day, that wasn't a thing, but that no. across the board of manufacturing, it's kind of, if it ain't sub MOA, you're not even in the game.
2: Not really, not really anymore. Just, and, you know, that's, that really says something about the, um, manufacturing of a lot of companies too, where they're all trying to push the limits and it's a really awesome change. You know, everyone wants something that's more accurate, whether you're talking, you know, archery or, Rifles or anything it's like you know you want something that's going to be super accurate first and foremost, especially when you're hunting' cause, like nothing really gets more high stakes than hunting in my opinion when you're out there in the woods and you're getting ready to take a take the life of an animal that like, you want it to be as quick and easy as you can um so accuracy is paramount and, when oh, you're, uh, 100%, pe-
0: and you a hundred percent you know, know like- people would
2: pay thousands and thousands of dollars for a sub MOA gun, but nowadays you can get it for you know. Twelve hundred to two grand, you can get that accuracy all,
0: all day, and, and and it kind of falls back to well, just like what we're doing right here, right now. We're on a podcast. That's mm-hmm. that's technical advancement that we're allowed to do this, and and your listeners are, are listening here on some kind of device, whether it's Bluetooth. technology, Bluetooth, technology, Bluetooth in their vehicle, or they got a headset on, they're doing it while they're working or working out or whatever the case may be. So my point with it is, is technology touches everything that you, I, and your listeners are involved in every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that technology also has transferred into manufacturing machines to where that we can hold our tolerances a whole lot tighter than we used to. Um, I, I remember... I remember this specifically. When we first started building custom guns, um, I I was still hosting outdoor TV shows at the time, and we went to the facility there uh, in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and we were building me a custom gun. So basically what I did is I had an old gun, an old Remington that I used to use when I was a young man in high school there when my buddy introduced me to that alt (laughs) 6 I went out and got a two seventy. Oh, yeah. Um, and, but, but I had retired that gun for a long time because I had hunted with black powder for, now well, for 20 years or so exclusively until we started building these Pagara, uh, branded rifles. But, um, I, we went down there and I remember pulling this Remington, um, I believe it's a, a Remington BDL 270. We pulled the barrel off of it, and and I was just curious to understand. I'm, my mind is very mechanical, so I wanted to understand the manufacturing processes and why our Berger barrels were better than standard Remington Berger barrels. Um, I'm sorry, Remington better than standard Remington <laughs> barrels. Yeah. And um, I, I wanted to understand that difference uh, because Remington had been around since the beginning of time, and everybody that grew up in the outdoors hunted with a Remington. And I wanted to know why and how our barrels could be better understand a remington so uh we pulled the barrel off that remington action and we run a camera down the bore now mind you uh we didn't shoot guns back in the day like we shoot today we, you know we'd shoot three or four rounds every year to sight a man per se or, or <laughs> check zero and then shoot a couple deer with them so maybe 10 rounds years all these guns would shoot so shooting a barrel out of a rifle wasn't even a thing until this competitive world come along so mm-hmm. Uh, so this barrel that I pulled off was not shot out, not shot much at all. Maybe, maybe over its course of life had three boxes of shells run through it. So maybe 60 rounds. Mm-hmm. I remember when I run that camera down that barrel when it was removed from the gun. And if you can picture going to the ocean and diving in the bottom of the ocean, if you look at the sand on the bottom of the ocean, it is in a ripple effect. Mm-hmm. The inside of that barrel looked exactly like the bottom of the ocean. Oh, really? That sandy bottom. It was so rippled, like the huh. entire length of the barrel. And I'm like, Oh man, this, Ooh, Ooh, Oh, That looks a little rough. I said, I've never even seen the inside of a barrel, but that's, that don't look good. And it <laughs> yeah. wasn't dirty because we cleaned it before we did this uh, to get a full effect of what the barrel should look like. So we, we run the camera down and I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I said, okay, we pull it out and we put it, uh, pull it out and send it down this cigar barrel that I was making this custom gun. And, uh, it was a 300 wind mag barrel, so it was a 30 cal barrel. Run it down, and it was like mirrored glass, like shiny, smooth as mm-hmm. butter. And it, and it basically come down to the manufacturing processes, uh, that we utilize today were so much better, uh, than the guns we built many, or the guns that were being built many years ago. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's the polishing and the honing. Well, number one is pulling the button through, and then it's the honing, then the polishing, and how many passes we make, the type of abrasive material that we use to polish these grooves and lands in the barrel. Uh, so, technology has made, uh, has touched everything that that we're involved in. That's from the vehicle that we drive to the phones that we're talking on, to the barrels that we make today.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it is really amazing. The one thing that I've noticed the most with, you know, just compare with my. My my C V A Wolf that I have, it's like they also like you have to be pretty darn nasty with them. I don't think my barrel has ever rusted. And it's been through some inclement shit. It's like I don't <laughs> think it's ever rusted. As a matter of fact, we'll but- die one. <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. And uh also it's like this is bad on me. This is gonna be a you know, bad Jake moment, but I thought I had cleaned it after a season, um one time and I mm-hmm. You know, put in the safe. Put in the safe. I guess I did not clean it. And I left it sit with dirty black powder in it for mm. all summer. And I pulled it out to check it and everything else. I popped it open. I'm like, "Goodness gracious, Jake! What is wrong? What is wrong with you? This barrel oh, is completely. <laughs> this barrel is so screwed. I like get so it's got to have pitting and stuff. I cleaned it out, and it took me a little while. And I cleaned it all out and got it really nice and clean. I looked down the barrel of that thing, and it looked still looked brand new. I'm like. You, these things just can't rust or pit it seems like it's insane i don't know because you guys put like a nitride finish on all your barrels right is it what it is
0: uh so, so is we put it... a nitride finish uh, on a lot of our barrels we still do make some in just plain stainless steel but if you say stainless steel obviously is much better than they used to they we used to just do blue barrels of course mm-hmm. they, they'd rust in the blink of an eye right uh, and stainless steel will still rust because it's stainless steel if you say it slowly mm. you get the meaning of what stainless steel is. <laughs> yeah, not stain free. Stainless. Yeah, stainless. So so they still will if you're not if you're not careful and, and, and stay a bit methodical about your cleaning. But mm-hmm. the nitride processes are exceptional. And basically that's a very hot salt bath that pulls the carbon out of the stainless steel and brings it to the exterior surfaces. So that black the black look or finish on a nitride barrel is actually not a coating. It's actually part of the barrel we just brung it from the internal, uh, basically changed the molecular structure of the barrel by bringing the carbon to the exterior surfaces. Mm -hmm. And on a barrel, you have two exterior surfaces. You have the exterior that you can see and you have the exterior of the inside that you don't see. Mm -hmm. So nitride finished barrels are black on the inside, just like they're black on the outside. Uh, And that basically makes it impervious to any kind of rusting, corrosion, pitting, uh, powder issues, anything it's it's basically impervious to any kind of mm-hmm. corrosion yeah it's it's amazing
2: and so i want to take you back real quick to where you started with night with night muzzle loaders mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so they did not they they're just blued barrels correct
0: so we did we, they were blued and they were stainless steel The nitride processes back in again this dates me to all get out but uh, there was no nitride processes back in that day yep. so the best we could come up with was stainless steel at that time.
2: Correct. So, I guess um, what I was getting at is I, so it's kind of funny that I'm sitting here talking to you now uh, about this, but my, my, one of my best friends, he has a night, an old night muzzle loader that he still shoots today. And it still shoots, it still shoots fine and stuff. But my, compared to my CVA Wolf, his barrel, and granted, it came from an owner that was much more neglectful than, what he probably should have been but that barrel mm-hmm. pre- has some pretty good sized pits like pitting going on
0: inside the barrel
2: and it oh, definitely yeah. knocks I've his seen
0: it a bunch over the time but one thing too to remember back in the day um when those guns were being built there wasn't modern propellants like it is today Correct. you know right yeah. now in in, in muzzle loading worlds uh the most modern propellant um is blackhorn 209 which is mm-hmm. a non-hydroscopic non-sulfur containing material so it's but it's it's as clean as it gets. Yeah. But back in those days, back in the night days when you're when the era of this gun your friend has, um, it, everybody was shooting real black powder. Mm. Uh, the manufacturer was called Go-X. So, I mean, if you just walked by a can of Go-X with a muzzleloader, it would start rusting. <laughs> you didn't even have to load the darn thing. <laughs> Um, so you really had to stay on top of your cleanliness back okay. the day with those muzzleloaders. Well,
2: that makes a lot, that makes a lot more sense too. Um, cause man, I don't know, just looking at the difference between my CVA Wolf and his night, uh, muzzleloader, it's like, Holy shit, dude, that's crazy. You know? And
3: again, technology.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I mean, that definitely correlates to the Garo rifles, rifle line too. Cause, um, I mean, grand they're not all like that, but I mean, Also, you know, uh, smokeless powder just burns way cleaner than black powder. It's insane. The difference between black powder and smokeless, it's like, I think smokeless was like three times more powerful than black powder. And it shoots like way cleaner. It's it's that technology, too, when that got invented, I don't know, you know, late 1800s, maybe early 1900s when smokeless powder came out.
0: Yeah, I'd like to know um, how they figured that out back in the day. That's always been on my mind, this oh, just a little thing, just a tick in my mind.
2: How did they <laughs> figure that out? That's funny because um, the only reason why I know that is because I do actually have a <laughs> – I'm going to start like a solo series for this podcast um, eventually. In episode one, I'm doing it on the history of gunpowder, and I actually talked like, talk quite a bit about that. As like some French scientist in um, the late 1800s when he came out with smokeless powder. He invented it, and it's pretty wild. I huh. just – yeah, that, came that, that would be cool yeah
0: <laughs> but I'll, down, I'll download that episode yeah so
2: you know. Yo, okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah i got some pretty interesting stuff coming down the pipeline just because you know doing a doing it solo is, it allows me to kind of tap into what i also what i like to do with like writing and stuff and i have them all written it's a lot more i guess scripted than it is this but it kind of has to be since i'm doing it all by myself and talking to nobody so
3: yeah, that's gonna I be am. a
2: whole different tactic in itself but um, just like like you were saying that technology changes and stuff, um, even from when you were a young man to now, not saying that you're not still young, but it's like when you were.
0: Say, what, so what are you yeah, saying? Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> when you were young, when you're younger, uh, the, just everything like techn- technology has changed so much. And that is one thing I've always enjoyed about the firearm side of things is it seems like a lot of manufacturers are pretty hip on a lot of the new technologies and they're trying to get stuff out. They're constantly trying to figure out how to make things better. And what's amazing about Bergara from my perspective is that you guys did just kind of go the vortex around and you're like, well, let's just see what happens. And you just jumped in and like, here we are. And
1: mm-hmm. somehow you
2: guys figured out how to make, um, super high quality rifles. Uh, very, like, I, honestly, I can't, I don't know how you guys do it besides, well, you just explained how, but it still doesn't make sense. Like, how you guys are coming out with 11, you know, $1,100, 1200 rifles that are shooting as accurate as they are and as durable as they are and as reliable as they are. When, you know, even though you can make them cheaper, like from your manufacturing process and all that stuff, it's like, I don't know. I guess to me, that's just the part of me that looks at certain companies where, like, well, just because they can make it cheaper doesn't mean that they're going to sell it cheaper. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, because I kind of feel like that with certain companies. They come out at a good price, and then eventually they start hiking the price up because they're like, "Well, you know, we're now we're established. So I don't we don't need to be selling them this cheap anymore. We're going to come out with a new line that's new and improved and awesome, and we're going to raise the prices." And even though they're manufacturing them at the same price or maybe a little bit more, but they're just going to start gradually jacking the prices up on the consumers just because. They don't need to really compete with price as much when they s- mm-hmm. start getting more well-known. I'm not saying you guys are going to do that, and I really hope you don't because it's <laughs> me being a, a poor man. I enjoy that, well, the fact that you're selling really high-end rifles for an affordable price.
0: Well, you know, it, 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 it really is, uh, to be uh, obviously working for the brand, it, it really is amazing to see. Obviously... Over the last couple of years, manufacturing costs have went up on pretty much everything that we touch, and yeah. we've done a very good yeah, yeah. Uh, we've done a very good job of of keeping it to where uh, you can get an amazing product for a, an amazingly uh, inexpensive buy-in for what you're getting. Um, and you know we so the biggest revolution here uh, you know you think about how can you continue to build a better mousetrap or a better firearm. Uh, obviously th- those things change with material so like when we come out with this rifle that we were talking about this mg light uh nobody had ever been ever talked about building uh, aluminum was a big thing aluminum chassis were mm-hmm. a thing um but magnesium is even next level next level uh lighter so we started playing ball with this magnesium of course magnesium is more expensive Yes, um, so to get into that world, we do have to charge a little bit more dollars, and you know the next evolution that everybody's seeing today is everybody getting into carbon fiber. Carbon fiber is absolutely amazing in multiple facets, but it's also hard to work with. It's also more expensive so over the last two years that we've stepped into some of these new materials uh to build our barrel assemblies and our stock assemblies we have crept up to that three thousand dollar mark on a couple different rifles that we make uh, which is the the highest we've ever been or the most expensive we've ever been but for what we're building it's still very inexpensive in in comparison to some of these really expensive companies that we know out west that have eight and ten thousand dollar guns that our three thousand dollar guns actually match and or better than and you know we're if you follow along, uh, if you're listening listener follow along to Begar and who we are and what we've been doing over the last couple of years, know that we've just stepped into that carbon fiber barrel world, which is, mm-hmm. like, super popular. Um, yeah, but I, I, I'm, I'm very proud to say that we have a process in our carbon barrel manufacturing that is totally different than any other carbon barrel in the market where we uh, basically weave or have woven – stainless steel mesh wire into our carbon fiber to where that we now have a carbon fiber barrel that actually dissipates heat evenly from the action area all the way down to the crown, which Mm. no other carbon barrel in the world today has that because we have five patents on that process. Um, (laughs) So, again, technology is changing. We're trying to figure out how to make these amazing rifles even better, and that's using better, more uh unique materials and uh magnesium and uh, this carbon fiber with stainless steel mesh woven into it. It's just really cool to see the process where we went to SHOT Show. uh Well, basically, I think we went to SHOT Show in 2009 with a suitcase full of well, four barrels and a stand, and now we're into this revolutionary chassis building and carbon fiber that's impregnated with stainless steel mesh and thermal conductive resin to help dissipate heat. Uh, it is so cool. Yeah, that is amazing.
2: But like you were saying, yes, obviously with like the MG Light, you had a that's going to cost more than a a, a B14, um, mm-hmm. you know, wilderness rifle. Uh, it's going to, it's going to cost more. Uh, but when you look at that gun, if you didn't, if you didn't know, if you just took it to someone and you're like, man, what do you think about this? Uh, you know, $6,000 setup I have here and like, oh man, that's nice. That's actually a pretty good price for that gun. It looks like, you know, it it looks like, you know, a a five, $6,000 gun, but you're selling it for, you know, sub 3000 grand. So it's a dollar shy of 3000, but still, you know, like that's. The way you guys have been able to keep prices down and quality high is always, um, I guess, intrigued me about the Bergara rifles, personally. Just because I'm constantly, as a consumer, I'm constantly looking for, you know, where am I going to get the most bang for my buck? Because I, some people don't, but I actually care about where each dollar I spend goes and what I'm going to get back from it. That's even
0: more popular today. And it's not popularity; it's out of necessity. Yes. Uh, everybody's trying to stretch their dollar as far as they can, and and we're very cognizant of that because we we are building, uh, well, an MG light and a couple of other models that that are because of the carbon barrel technology are really crowding that three thousand dollar mark. Mm-hmm. But we still have the B fourteen Hunter rifle that is a traditional style hunting gun that you would that you think of in your mind of traditional hunting. We still build that gun today. It shoots right beside a, a MG light. It's $3,000, in our B-14 hunters are, depending on where you're at, I, I've seen them at $699. Yep. Um, that gun is amazing. Uh, we didn't cut any corners on that, so we still make uh, a product that a guy just wants a plain Jane, let's go kill stuff, hunting gun. We still make that, and we still make it affordable for him. Yeah. So we kind of covered all gamuts where guys want the latest, to greatest, because there's those dudes out there, you know. I, and if you're listening now, I know you got friends that all want the latest, <laughs> to greatest <laughs> yeah. of everything.
2: So yep. we
0: build those guns for that dude, and we build guns for the dude who wants a traditional, good old hunting rifle.
2: Yep, absolutely. And it's it's kind of like the other thing I uh, I always appreciate just just perusing your website and stuff, and looking at looking through your catalog of um, guns you have for sale and stuff. Um, it's kind of I guess I. Kind of look at it like uh when I go into a restaurant or like a diner and I sit down, and the waiter the waiter or waitress they come over, they hand me a menu. If they hand me a menu that's six pages thick, double sided, I almost get like you know paralysis by analysis. I'm like I don't know what I'm going to get. I'm just going to get a bacon cheeseburger, I guess, because I don't I don't know what to do. Like what's best here? But then you go to a different diner and they have one sheet. It's front and back, and that's it. And you look at that, you're like, okay, well, it's all probably going to be pretty good because they just have a little bit less offering, you know, on paper. But what you're going to get, you're going to really enjoy. Kind of, oh, you know, yeah. is that does that make sense?
0: All day, very clear. Okay.
2: Yeah. So when yep. I'm flipping through it, like, you guys, by the way. Yeah. Thank you. I say that because my mom and dad they own a diner in town, and that's one thing I told oh. them front and back menu that's all you need because it bothers me when i get in there and there's a huge ass menu i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna get i'm just gonna freak out
0: (laughs) you know it can be be overwhelming for sure Sure.
2: i might i don't know it's uh it's so like flipping through your in the way you guys have it set up it just makes a lot more sense you know it's like the b14 your premiere series and your your comp rifles which i also want to get into it is just like laid out it what in a certain way where it's like you know, if you're just a traditional hunter, there you go. If you're mm-hmm. a competition guy, there you go. And you have something to hit every niche, but you're not overcrowding each niche either. So
0: yep. we, don't, we don't want to leave anybody left out. Um, For sure. At the end of the day is kind of the, the premise, you know, um, like I said there's, there's guys that want to the big boys and there's guys that just want to go hunting and enjoy the great outdoors. And we make mm-hmm. it for, for those guys too.
2: Yeah. So I guess the only other question that's that is like, what's next? Are you guys going to start making handguns?
0: <laughs> uh, well, um, you know, there's always options. Um, oh, really? We are definitely exploring a lot of things. We're trying to figure out uh, where we're going next. Um, I, I will say this: I just come out of a hunt in Texas here uh, two days ago, and we were hunting with some 2024 models, um, and I'm very impressed, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least, with these. And we have, I think, when we go to Shot Show this year, uh, 2024. Uh, we will have four new products. I believe is, I believe is right. I believe that's where we're going to land with four new guns for this year.
1: Okay. Uh,
0: and very impressive, uh, of, of what we've come up with. So, so, you know, in manufacturing, obviously every year you, it's, it's expected, uh, by general population that you come out with what's new, come out with something right. new, what's going on, you know, kind of thing. And, and it is tough it, when you build the best there is, it's tough to come out with something new, but <laughs> as that? we talk technology, <laughs> Technology is coming along, and we got different materials to play with. And you know, um, we we still try to. One gun that we're going to release here in a couple of weeks there at Shot Show will be uh, something that is kind of a crossover ish, where it's traditional hunting mm. feel, but but has some other features on it that you know kind of come off a comp side world, and um, where it's kind of a well, pretty good during, pretty darn good crossover, in my opinion. Mm. But um, but we're already into like twenty twenty eight. Uh, of stuff that we're that we're working on prototypes and things like that so we're, we try our best to stay so far ahead um that way that um we just continue advancing as we grow and and some of those changes just like the the, uh, the playing with this magnesium to build a chassis or playing with this carbon fiber to impregnate stainless steel mesh for a uh heat dispersion uh capability in these carbons and uh Sometimes it takes four or five, six years to get some of this stuff nailed mm-hmm. down. That's why we got to stay so far out.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say, you kind of, in order to be like be competitive and stay competitive, you have you have to think way in the future. You have to constantly be oh, thinking, man. you know, five, six year plan kind of stuff all the time.
0: You know, and, and as humans, I think a lot of time we we're pretty complacent in what we do, and we think just like. No further than our, our shoelaces, uh, yeah. but in the in the manufacturing world, we got. I mean, we're, we're we we got to be thinking light years ahead, uh, because some of these processes take take such a long period of time to get into play and get into production. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we just got to stay as far ahead as we possibly can. And um, the guns that we were hunting with down in Texas here uh, this last week uh, were guns that I know for a fact we've been playing with for over three years now. Okay. That's the cool side of being in, in the, the firearms industry is you get to see and be a part of some of this roadmap. Uh, it's kind of what we call it internally. It's our roadmap of where we're headed. Mm-hmm. The Rand McNally's, the, the GPS's, where, where our road is going to take us. And, uh, you know, sometimes we've got to zig and zag a little bit where materials change. Um, but. But nonetheless, we try to stay as far advanced as we can, just so we can kind of keep a good roadmap.
2: Yep, no, that's that's amazing. That's one thing I'm excited about. You know, selfishly for myself with this podcast, is I am you know, really excited about excited to get you know more indus, like quote unquote industry people on, especially in the firearms world and stuff, because it's just it's very interesting. Whether it's um, you know, talking you know, politics with certain regulations, or if it's talking like just manufacturing type stuff, like there's just so much going on in the firearm space constantly. It's just, Mm. you're never going to get bored in this space. Mm. I don't think and especially being, you know, firearms industry type stuff and outdoor, like just general outdoor hunting industry type stuff. There's just so much going on all the time. It's like, I don't know. It's it's exciting and it's fun to talk about. That's for sure.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's an ever changing world. It's almost like you get up every day and you got to, just sit there for a few minutes to figure out what the next wave's coming.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Um, so with your new stuff that you guys are coming out with, uh, you know, obviously you're you're not gonna drop all the really gushy stuff, but um, all the
0: nuggets. <laughs> yeah, all the
2: all the juicy little nuggets. You got to save some of that for shot show and everything else. But um, what has because you guys have come out with some new stuff just randomly here, uh, like you guys. Start getting into the seven PRC game. Yep. So yep,
0: yep. That was our biggest play here. You know the the seven. I call it the Percy. The seven Percy hit the ground <laughs> running hard with custom guns way back. Um, I almost feel like we're. I will say a year behind, but we kind of intentional. Um, it's kind of mm-hmm. like you know when that something new comes out, you want to make sure the bugs and the kinks are worked out uh, before you go purchase it. And we we kind of played that same ball with the seven PRC, which Obviously, Hornady come up with that and the other PRCs that they had introduced to the market, the 6.5 PRC, the 300 PRC were, oh my gosh, just really amazing rounds and chamberings. Mm-hmm. So we knew that the 7 PRC would obviously follow suit because they, they wouldn't come out with it unless it was really refined. But in in air of caution, uh, we let other folks come out with the 7 PRC at first. So people were like, oh, you guys are so late to the game. Eh, that's kind of yeah. by design. Yeah, um, just want to make sure she's going to fly before we really tool it up. And, and not that we wasn't playing with it behind the scenes, um, but we just didn't introduce it to the market till just here recently. But it has been very good for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're super excited about um, other manufacturers coming on and, and adding to that and supporting that, that chambering. You know, I, I think Federal just dropped their first 7PRC. I see some, some custom gun maker, I'm sorry, custom ammo makers out there uh, that are, are dropping 7PRC custom-loaded ammo. Uh, so it's good to see other manufacturers get behind it behind it and giving in consumers an opportunity to test other 7PRC rounds with other projectiles other than an ELDX. Right, exactly. And, you know, Hornady,
2: that's one thing they've always been good at is they're – they're pretty savvy when it comes to coming out with new cartridges. Like, this the PRC oh, stuff, man. like, oh, my gosh. Like, the way they laid that out and planned it all out, I'm like, that was genius. Like, mm-hmm. No, no, I'm no a other PRC fan. Yeah. Like, no other any manufacturer has ever done something like that where they come out with an entire line uh, from the whole spectrum of, you know, 6.5 to 30 caliber, you know, like, just the whole line. And, se- and the, the 7mm game is probably the – I guess less Trumped and like there's so many different 30 calibers out there, you know, you got 30-06, out 300 Win mag, you know. Um now 300 PRC. Like the 30, like 30 calibers, there's a lot of them out there. Um you know, but there's not like a shit ton of 7 millimeter cartridges out there, so I feel like that's a one thing when they came out the 7 PRC, like a lot of a lot of guys, especially in like the influencer arena were super excited about the 7 PRC cuz like oh my gosh, like Something other than just the seven rem mag, you know,
0: seven mag or twenty eight nosler.
2: Yeah, twenty eight nosler um, is another one, but yeah,
0: 20, yeah super popular there. But mm-hmm. yeah, that seven p r c is is uh, it's superior over these others for sure in the way the neck is done and the projectile on the bc of the projectile, and mm-hmm. it is. And, and I think my my opinion now. So like, I, I like guns, so uh, I have a fetish. It's yep. Guns and, it, and it's and it's a bunch of them. I like buying guns. I like I like looking at them. So I'm never going to be the one gun guy. But mm-hmm. the seven PRC, in my personal opinion, is for that guy that wants to do everything with yep. one gun. He wants to hunt whitetail. Boom, seven PRC. He wants to hunt elk. Boom, seven PRC. Now m- on my side of things, I love I love the the bigger brother and the little brother. The six five PRC. Uh, I'm telling you, I don't know how many of them I have now, but it's a lot. It's a
3: lot.
0: <laughs> it's a lot. And the the six five PRC in my opinion for mule deer down mm-hmm. is as good as you'll ever get. It's the accuracy that everybody knows the Creed for, but it has the gas behind it to make that Creedmoor so much more better. Yeah. Um I, I, and the, the sorry. sorry, the three hundred PRC, in my opinion, I'm a big thirty cow guy. I love the West. I spend a lot of time out there hunting elk and I got a ton of 300 wind mags, but they can't walk where a 300 PRC has been, man. Oh, you think uh, so? Oh, my gosh. That, you know, i shot a bunch of elk over the years with a 300 Win, and, and I do love it. I I thought it was always the staple because you could go to a quick sack uh, in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and get some 300 wind ammo. Mm-hmm. Everybody had it, you know, so it was a very versatile working, workhorse kind of caliber, but... This 300 PRC, man, I, I've shot a couple of elk with it over the last couple of years and it just does stuff that I never thought was even possible with a 300 wind mag. Really? You know, uh, oh, oh my gosh, it's just so impressive, but it's so much that it's just too much for a white So I'm, Ben's, I like guns. I'm a 6.5 PRC and I'm a 300 PRC, but those guys who want to keep their limit of firearms down to just a few, the 7 PRC closes a big gap. And is a basically a uh, casting net for anything you want to do in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, so, so I'm glad we finally come out with it for sure. Yeah, it's, it's I, healing a lot of pain. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of people filled that
2: filled that niche with uh, either two AAKLY improved or the yep. twenty eight Nosler. Those were kind of the two mm-hmm. main cartridges that would fill that gap before. But it just seemed like they're like the twenty Nosler is a speed it's It's a great round. Obviously, but it's just so limited. Um, So with Hornady coming out with the 7 PRC and the way they produced it and the way other manufacturers have got behind them, the PRC lines as well, seeing the popularity that Hornady really just, um, you know, stewed up and got a lot of people really excited about this PRC line and a lot of other people jumping on on it so early. It really does make it seem like it's going to stick and be around for a long Aww. time and be a mainstay.
0: Yep. You know, I, I remember when these first Percy rounds or PRC rounds come out, that <laughs> we that. were like, well, <laughs> we'll see which one hangs on and which one don't. Well, it's so and, common,
2: though, that they'd fall off, right? I mean.
0: Oh, yeah. You know, we were like internally, we were betting which one was going to lay with us and which one was not. And mm-hmm. I, I I think we were both right because the 300 PRC has found its, its, its niche uh, and the six, five PRC is basically, if you ever shoot it, then you'll never shoot a Creedmoor again. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's what the Creedmoor needs to be. Right. That's wicked one, fast.
2: Yep. That's one thing I always said. I mean, the six, five PRC is everything the six, five Creedmoor should have been.
0: Yep. Agreed. So, so we, we were betting which one would go and stay and we were right on both accounts because they are both staying and, and and now Hornady has proven that their PRC line the six five and three hundred is super stable. And bringing the seven PRC, was just a solid play to bridge the gap.
2: Yeah. Well, now what they need, someone needs to do is come out with a like a thirty five PRC for us Iowans.
0: No. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes. 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 Because uh, it does. Because does it need to be straight wall? Up no.
2: There? Nope. No, nope, because I, I, I'm going to rebarrel my 30 out six to a 35 Whalen, which is oh, just you know, Wayland. yeah, I,
0: a hammer. I, woo,
2: don't uh-huh. get me to start I've Talked about it a lot on this podcast. I'm so excited to get that rebarreled to the 35 Whalen because it is sick. It's just a really yeah. cool. It's such a cool wildcat. Uh, not even, Yeah, I guess wildcat because that was started back with. Uh, Townsend, Wayland, and, uh, um, how was it, Howe, right? Is Wayland and oh, Howe. They, they, they created the the
0: a in that more than me, but, yeah. um, I, I know old. it was a Wildcat for a while because it wasn't, you couldn't find ammunition, just like the 280 Ackley. I remember when mm-hmm. 280 Ackley uh, was was a full Wildcat, custom loaded kind of scenario only, but, uh, now you can find a, a decent amount of 280 Ackley on the shelf if you. Mm-hmm in the right location so yeah definitely both of those have morphed but that 35 whalen i've never personally shot one um, but i i get 35 whalen sent to a lot of different people and every time i do that they're like man this thing is a hammer oh yeah so, i'm like wow maybe i need to try that
2: yep it's a it i mean it's it's such an amazing round because it's, it's just a you know necked up 30-06 out you know with a 35 caliber bullet stuffed inside of it so it's, okay it's uh it's an amazing round but it's one of the only cartridges that i know of that uh they necked up they took this cartridge necked it up stuffed a bigger bullet in there and it actually in some instances exceeds the parent cartridge in velocity which is amazing it's taken a 30 caliber versus a You know, three fifty seven caliber to, and it's actually exceeding in certain instances, exceeding the velocity at certain distances, and it's, it's, I mean, that 30, that thirty five Whalen is good all the way out to, you know, three hundred yards easily. So it's like Mm that's a really, it's just a hammer of a cartridge, and it's labeled the poor man's magnum for a long time because you know, (laughs) (laughs) back in the day, all he had was the three seventy five H and H, you know, and those ultra-big Magnum cartridges. So they mm-hmm. Townsend Wayland, he came, um, wanted to, him and... Uh, I can't remember the dude's name. From Griffin, and how how he... They teamed up and they wanted to make a cartridge that was, you know, basically it became known as the poor man's Magnum. And it is uh, an absolute hammer of a round and being in Iowa since they passed that law. Um, so with Iowa, it used to be straight wall cartridges. So, you know, 350 Legend, 450 Bushmaster, 4570, mm. you know that type of situations. Um, you know, th- all all the straight walled cartridges. But um, I think is uh, a couple years ago they changed the word, the verbiage in the law, and they just took out the straight walled verbiage and said, you know, simplified it and said 35 to 50. So you can shoot, you can shoot a, th- you can hunt white tailed deer in Iowa using a 416 Rigby if you want to. Cause it falls. Uh, my shoulder don't want to, but. Nope, mine doesn't either. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why the, it, up, up here, the 35 Whalen is actually starting to gain a lot of popularity again. So it's kind of bringing that 35 Whalen back to life in this <laughs> area, at least. Noted. Yep. You can actually find <laughs> it in Fleet Farm now. There's no, now granted, there's no, rounds on the shelf because they're all gone but there is a sticker saying 35 whalen and there's not I'll much from, but yeah yep yep 35 whalen it's coming back and it's gonna be awesome
0: <laughs> wow okay yeah noted yep I'll, I'll focus on that pay a little attention to that that's that's great
2: yeah so you know come up with the you know bergar uh poor man's magnum rifle chamber that sucker 35 I- whalen I did not know it's
0: a poor man's magnum, but yep. that's, <laughs> that's another, that's some more uh, in, uh, information I just put in my watch pocket right here.
2: Yeah, yeah. Cause I, I think Townsend Wayland even took that cartridge out and sh- um, shot some dangerous game in Africa back when it was legal, but then they, they made the minimum caliber for dangerous um, game uh, 375. So it used to be you could go out there with whatever you want and hunt Cape Buffalo, but and then I don't know if people, too many people started getting killed or something or what, but yeah, no, they're, it's very popular in, um, in, well, I shouldn't say very popular. I know people have taken it to Africa and taken everything from, you know, Impala all the way up through Kudu and wildebeest and stuff and just laid them down with it.
0: Mm. Mm. Well, that's yeah. what I've heard. Everybody tells me that I ship a gun to They're Like, man, if you've not shot this, you need to, cause it's awesome. hmm.
2: <laughs> and i think uh Remington were i think they were the only company that came out with a production rifle in 35 wayland for a long time but um okay so oh, we're, okay cuz CVA they you get um you guys with CVA on the CVA side you start coming out out the scout
0: in right? 35 wayland yeah in 35
2: wayland yeah so that's, yeah,
0: that's that's what i'm talking about sending guns out yeah. um i've shipped a ton of the scouts out that are 35 wayland
2: yeah so i guess you are you guys are the second Product, and company to come out with production rifles and thirty five whaling so
0: yeah, it's it's yeah. it's been a good round for us for sure. I mean, there's obviously more popular ones, but the guys who know it and understand it, that's all they talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
2: that's a cool cartridge. About. I've done a lot of research bat- on it, and I'm very excited about it. I just need to get the money to get it rebarreled.
0: Do it to it, man. Oh, Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Yep. Um, it's I mean, obviously a super simple process because you, you're you're using the same. Um, exact same action and everything else, just literally just rebarreling it and calling it a night. But yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. yeah.
2: But, uh, yeah. So I did also want to touch on it because you guys, so you came with the seven PRC stuff for Bergara, but you also came out with, uh, the competition rifle in six GT.
0: We did. We just introduced it that's like new. two weeks ago. Yeah.
2: I saw, that's, that's- I just saw that come across. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I didn't talk to Tony about this.
0: Yep. it's brand new, you know, and it, um, so w- we have a regard shooting team, uh, and those guys are, that, that's what they do all day, every day. They're the most traveled dudes that I know. And, and my nickname and has been for years, my pen name started out as traveling hunter because I traveled all over the country uh, <laughs> and have, since I was in my twenties, but these dudes are traveling dudes, man. And our Begar shooting team is the best of the best. And for years, uh, you know, when we first started, uh, putting some competition style guns together, and basically we were Heinz 57 stuff, uh, parts here and parts there, and putting it together for these guys. And, you know, we've seen this competitive side of what we do grow, which, you know, always the volumetric mover, uh, for us are going to be hunters at the end of the day, but, mm-hmm. This competition thing has really grown leaps and bounds over the last five or six years. So we built a shooting team, and when we first started, we chambered in six five Creed more, and then we we tweaked her a little bit after that and went down to the six Creed because that's super popular. You know, it's basically a rocket ship two forty three. Um, and but for the last two years, man, uh, these guys have been in our ear. Uh with a relentless chirp, almost like a tonada situation where they're just (laughs) steadily humming, man, it's 6GT, 6GT, 6GT. So, yes, we just introduced our first chamber in 6GT, but it's only available in our comp gun at this point um, because there's not a lot of ammunition on the shelf to support us building it in a production-style format or, or a platform. But the comp gun, which most of those guys are are loading their own stuff, so the 6GT is what these guys have been wanting for a while now, and we finally caved in and (laughs) give it to them. And and I think I could hear everyone of them screaming with joy when we told them we were going to cut it loose and go ahead and do a chambering in 6GT.
2: Yeah, so that is actually one caliber that I really don't know shit about. Besides the fact that I, it's small not, and fast.
0: <laughs> yep, yeah, it's super fast. It is, uh, in my opinion, it is a rocket ship Creedmoor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, and the 6 Creedmoor was a rocket ship 243. So uh, super high ballistic coefficient projectile, a lot of gas behind it, wicked flat shooter. And, of course, with the with these comp guys, you know, obviously they don't want to have to spin a bunch of turret dial, um, uh and the flatter shooting, the better, the mm-hmm. less work they got to put into yardage judging and things like that. So uh, the six GT is what they've been wanting forever. Uh, and, and we finally give in and chambered in it. And man, these guys are absolutely loving it. And, uh, super excited to see those dudes hit the tournament trail per se, uh, come turn of 2024 and see how they perform with it and how they run with
2: it. hmm. Honestly, I could see a lot of, uh, like coyote hunters and wolf hunters like predator hunters getting into that oh too, yeah honestly
0: oh yeah it's it's you know it, it, and it's it's so weird how how the predator hunting uh guy's lifestyle is so very close and similar to a comp guy mm-hmm. and i've watched that here over the last couple of years because I, I i have taken care of or worked with our shooting team a lot over the last couple of years and it's interesting to see how they look at things and how the predator guy looks at things. They talk about almost like they talk on the same uh, brain wave per se with their optics and their caliber choices, even though one's in camo and one is in the brightest colored competition (laughs) shirt you could ever think of, but they're the same dude almost. So I would imagine if my comp guys, obviously they try to, I I feel like they tend to lean on the very front end of waves because they're trying to figure out the next, best latest greatest Mm -hmm. and and i feel that because they have pulled this comp or this six gt into their comp rifle that when it catches on no doubt we'll probably ease that same caliber offering into something else
2: yeah i mean i could especially if there's if if there were because I've never seen it on the shelf, but if there's a, a more production line for mm-hmm. the caliber itself as, would be sweet. As
0: Soon as ammunition manufacturers start supporting that chambering, we will start paying attention to it. Yep, for sure. Yeah,
2: because I did. I just did some when actually when I saw you guys come out with your six GT, I was like, what? I'm like I've only ever like really I've never really done a whole lot of looking into the six GT before, but I did do a little bit of looking into it. I'm like, that is just ridiculous That's a ridiculously mm-hmm. fast little cartridge just screaming out of there but i'm like man i could really see some coyote hunters um i talked with a buddy of mine matt Hoynez. he's uh in south dakota he works for silence of central but he's a huge predator guy and he just loves those oh, yeah, so
0: Sodak, those dudes are all predator guys out oh, there man
2: that's all they, that's all they do if they're not yeah. hunt, hunting deer then they're hunting coyotes they just love it i don't know if it's the because the prairies out there where it's just I don't know what it is, but they just love shooting coyotes.
0: Yeah, it's just pretty plentiful out there, and the terrain is very open, so a lot of visibility. And, mm-hmm. and like I was saying, we'll have these guys, the comp guys and the predator guys have this crossover, but, but it's like super divided of, amongst how they operate. But they want, um, they want flat shooting. They don't want to worry about uh They don't want to worry about, uh, being so precise on their yardage judging skills. Mm -hmm. So that, so flat judging is super, or flat trajectory is super important. Uh, and then low felt recoil so they can stay on their target. So like these, these guys that are running after these coyotes out there, you know, if if they call in one or two, they want to, they want to keep that gun on target so they can recoil on one and then ride into the other one without bouncing off the gun and then trying to get back on it. They want to stay on the gun, stay on the cheek piece. Bang! Run the bolt, swing over to the next coyote. Bang! Just like these target guys do. Yep. Um, so that six GT covers it all. Super flat, low
2: recoil. Yep. And a lot of the predator guys too. Like you know, if a coyote gets gets to run a little bit, you know they're not afraid to shoot a coyote on the run. So it's like if you have a really speedy cartridge, that definitely helps with lead.
0: Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. So. so it's a good crossover round, and I'm 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 super excited for these guys that they finally got the chamber that they want and and then see how that produces for those guys here come this next tournament season. Yeah,
2: no, that's that's cool. I, I was pretty excited when I saw that too. I'm not even a competition guy or really much of a predator guy personally, Um mm-hmm. but I, I saw that. I'm like, that is cool. That's just something that you don't see a whole lot of other firearms manufacturers. And it's just kind of a, a, another nod to you guys as a company, like actually listening to your team and being like, okay, well, you know, Basically, we'll do this for you guys if you guys
0: just <laughs> shut up about it. All right, all right, we're yeah, listening. Yeah, pretty so. much. <laughs> but you know, those guys are so dialed into technology and and, oh, yeah. and um, knowing what's going on, and, and uh, so that's the reason we listen. But you know, I think we're, I, to my understanding, uh, that we're like the only rifle manufacturer at this point at this chamber of six GT, but. You know, the, the most popular round in the world is the 6.5 Creedmoor. Of course, it mm-hmm. gets beat up. and There's all kind of names for it now, besides actually what it's called. But we were the first rifle manufacturing company in 2014 to chamber a 6.5 Creedmoor.
2: Oh, okay. Huh. I didn't yeah, know absolutely. that either.
0: Yep. We've come to the market uh, with uh, two fledgling calibers, per se, that end up being really awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping the six t does the same thing for that niche market. Well, it kind of
2: makes sense, I guess. If you're putting out a quality product at a good price, then you know you're going to have a lot of people being like, "Wow, well, yeah, all right, I'll give it a shot." and It's not going to mm-hmm. kill me to experiment a little bit if I have a little bit extra cash to throw around, and it you know I'll I'll buy regard and see what see what this uh, other cartridge is all about. Because also with that, um, your competition rifle, and you're still only looking at what is it twenty five hundred bucks or something like that right around there yes
0: so it yeah. depends on obviously where you find it at but it's going to hover between that 26 to 2800 hundred dollar mark okay. and it's full comp man i mean you know so a typical a typical rifle uh or typical barrel is is number three number four number five taper uh and this comp gun all comp stuff is basically measured in palma uh which is the outside diameter And it's light palma media palma heavy palma um and these guns, these are heavy Palma barrels, which is basically what we would know in layman's terms as a bull barrel. Okay. Um, so it is tricked out with a Masterpiece Arms chassis, trigger tech, trigger assembly, full comp style barrel. I mean, it is super heavy, uh, vertical grip chassis. I mean, it is everything a comp dude wants. Yeah. So again, this is like a guy who's he's been in the HMR platform that wants to go to that next level, but mm-hmm. they still don't want to jump into a five and six thousand dollar gun. We build a full comp gun less than three grand.
2: Right, and it's still uh, weight wise. I mean, was there if I can remember, right, it's right around like thirteen pounds or so. I that's think that's right. That's okay. right. And, and so, and I mean, very easy
0: accessible to add weight and distribute that mm-hmm. weight from forward to back to get the balance that each individual shooter wants. I mean, it's very adaptable to every human that Yeah, gets so, behind it.
2: I mean, you're right there with the, with the weight of competition rifles, too, to easily get up into that. You know, if you wanted to get up into that, you know, closer to 20-pound range, you can do uh-huh. what you need to do to add it up and get it on there. And plus, I, mean, I don't know, a 6GT, I can imagine that you'd need that much more weight on in, in order to, you know, just for the muzzle rise and stuff with with if you put a good brake on and everything else, so...
0: Yeah, time you get in, you put your, you know, the guys are running 34 millimeter tube scopes and 56 millimeter bell ends. And time yep. you put a big honking piece of glass on it, big set of rings and bases. Um, and then you got your bipod on it and all that kind of stuff. You, you're starting to crank up there 17, 18 pounds. And with a 6GT, mm-hmm. it's like shooting a 20 Q rifle. Exactly. Exactly. And of course, you know, these guys are running cans on the end of them. So that adds more weight. Um, right. So they're with. Relatively quiet with a can with no muscle rise, no felt recoil. I mean, it is just all that in a bag of tricks.
2: hmm Yeah, that's it, it's it's pretty amazing. It, well, and you guys do some uh competition twenty two stuff too. I, oh my gosh. I, bro. I was talking to Darren DeBoer and he he's a he's Oh, he's one, he, one of our he's yeah. one of our guys. Oh yeah. He's yeah. one of our comp
0: team members. Yep, he came Give on her, the podcast
2: pretty early on and he he's an awesome dude. Really awesome oh dude. Oh my gosh, Darren He loves Darren him
0: Oh yeah, he's one of our OGs. He's a big competitive twenty-two shooter, and you know, so we when we started kind of touching base and we started seeing more of this competitive world moving forward, it can get pretty expensive pretty quick. Even mm-hmm. though we make uh, you know affordable guns per se, but these guys shooting uh, this ammunition obviously gets pretty expensive. You know, these big tall pieces of glass gets pretty expensive. So. You do have to have a little bit of cash to play in that game, and it's not a poor man's sport by any stretch. But mm. on the other side of it, for folks that's on a budget but still has that competitive nature and they want to go shoot some competitive matches, the 22 stuff is brilliant. Oh yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And man, dude, we're running 22 rifles out to four and five hundred yards now. That's insane. It, it, I mean, to all to all meanings of that word, it is absolutely insane where uh, like guys are custom loading 22 ammunition. Now before it was dirty and junky and you just used 22 to shoot beer cans and squirrels with it. <laughs> In my case, it's I couldn't do it when I was a kid, but, uh, but, but do we have taken the 22 level world to like all next level. And, and we kind of went back on that same premises of the HMR. Uh, our, our first 22 was what we called our trainer. And, and we, and we didn't get into that. It was kind of, premature of when the 22 comp world started taking off it was like we called it a trainer because it was built off an hMR platform and it was kind of the same fit and feel of an hMR but you could shoot it all day long and not spend 20 bucks hardly right um, so we we built this this trainer 22 rifle to be for the guys that are shooting competitions to stay in training through the off season but not have to spend a bunch of money um, and then before you know it, it's, it's become almost like a, not in, in, in specs wise, it's not a full blown comp 22, but it's become a full blown competition. 22 rifle guys mm-hmm. are running in the comps all day, every weekend. Somebody's running <laughs> ATMRs, uh, 22s. That sport has grown leaps and bounds so much faster than every other sport, uh, competitively wise than anything we've touched base with because it's affordable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can get a twenty. Uh, you can get the trainer for thousand bucks, and your ammunition is relatively inexpensive. It's getting a little more expensive when you get into these Ely's and all these other custom uh, precision twenty two ammo makers. It's getting a little bit more expensive for that stuff, but not still nothing like a twenty round box of sixty T ammo or six Creedmoor ammo would cost you per se. Right. Uh, so it's still super affordable. If you run a suppressor on it, it's ultra quiet. There's no recoil. It's super awesome for, uh, for number one, people that's on a budget or don't want to spend as much money doing it, but still want to be competitive. Also for youth, youth can run it. Yes. They don't get shell shot by getting the devil beat out of them with heavy caliber guns. It's no no noise if they're unsuppressed. So basically, all you can hear is the firing pin hit the hit the uh, uh, the casing. It's super quiet. So it is. Uh, very user friendly for youth and people that want to get into it and not spend a bunch of money. So that market has exploded. Yeah, for us. yeah, that's what darren's
2: uh, That's one of the big takeaways I got from Darren when I was talking with him. It's like just get if you want to get your kid into sh- say you're a competitive shooter yourself and you're like oh man I have these kids I really want them to you know, experience this as well as we share my passion with them. Like, man, that 22, um, competition stuff is like so insanely cool. It's, it's just so cool. Oh, that it's getting yeah. so popular and it's opening up so many doors for so many different people. It's just a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, the budget aspect of it, you know, and everything else is just a really cool niche. Oh
0: my gosh. It is awesome. And you, and if you go to a 22, uh, competition match at, they put on in a, on a weekend somewhere across the country bro you're knee deep in people trying to get into it because it is <laughs> super popular so it's brought so many more people into the shooting sports industry it is just in that aspect alone it's a savior
2: oh yeah yep and just like anything else you know uh i mean i grew up just my dad had an old uh, he, I shouldn't say old he bought it new when I was a kid but not, it's old now but uh mm-hmm. just grew up with a little 22 uh Remington 22 long rifle I can't remember what model it was but I think it was sweet when he bought me that and it's like here's a box of 500 thunderbolt 22 lrs and oh, oh my yes. gosh that's just all summer fun I think I shot I shot a lot of boxes of those old thunderbolts and just shooting oh, shooting you know, blackbirds and whatever else in the backyard and rabbits and squirrels and everything else. I'm like, this is so much fun. Like there'd be days where I'd be in school and I'd get off the bus and I'd run home and I'm like, I'm just gonna grab the twenty two and start plinking and it was just man, Yeah. It's so much fun. But it's cool it's really cool that you can get into like a competition setting and really get that you know, for kids or other people anyone that's really into like that has that competitive itch and they want to go out there and test themselves that they can do it at an affordable price like you said
0: so yeah yeah oh it's it's been a game changer for us and we were never in a million years believed where it was going but it was based out of necessity (laughs) where guys wanted to to get into the comp side of things but didn't want to spend the big bucks, and it's it's been wonderful. Now granted some of these dudes that are into it now are spending big bucks on twenty two stuff <laughs> too. Uh all the stuff that they're buying, but but nonetheless it doesn't have to be that way. And and with with that popularity of that first twenty two, we, we figured that maybe we ought to try well to get in the game a little bit deeper in the twenty two markets. So we come out with a semi automatic uh model uh in steel barrel and carbon barrel, we call it a BXR. And then then next level was well you know, the guys who want to go squirrel hunting, per se, are just plinking and not need a comp gun but don't want a semi-auto. We need a bolt action. So we come out <laughs> with a uh, what we call a BMR, and that stands for Bagara Micro Action, or Bargara Micro Receiver. And it's just like – it's almost like it's on a Remington platform, just shrink. Okay. So it's like a Remington action just shrunk down just a little bit. Uh, and it is a bolt action that comes with a 5- and 10-round mag, we make it in 22, 22, see, 22, 22 mag, and also the 17 HMR. And it is, it's kind of like the workhorse of 22s. Mm-hmm. I know, I know guys that, that use them for competition because they're a little bolt gun and also guys that just throw it in the back of the truck or in the floorboard. And that's a squirrel and rabbit getter. Oh yeah. Right. So just to give a of necessity to put a 22 in a competitive market for guys to train with, we now have three models. Yeah, that is sweet. That's
2: super cool. Like I said, you guys are hitting really every niche that you can in probably one of the smarter ways you can do it too. So,
0: I, well, we sure hope so. Yeah, uh, we, we we've done a whole lot in in a very short period of time in ten years of manufacturing, and uh, I, I feel that we're just getting started.
2: Yeah, no. You, in the grand scheme of things, when you compare to other firearms manufacturers, you definitely are just getting started. But it's so cool to Uh see a company that is just kind of really getting the wheels underneath them as a company. That's right. And uh, the the ways you've been making in just such a short short amount of time is pretty amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. We've been extremely blessed. But our team that we work with there, our engineers, uh, I mean, our team is like from customer service all the way to the top of the CEO chain, if you will. Uh, everybody is so vested in the brand. It's really, it's really neat to see. And, you know, you think about, uh, I would say at this point, we're probably the, the fastest growing rifle manufacturer in the world, um, because we're not just in the U S we're also in all the European markets and stuff like that as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of, a lot of stuff over in the European market that, that guys here, uh, unless they fall, follow Bagar international, they don't even know we make,
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, so, uh, we've done a whole lot in a very short period of time, and, and that's because we have the most amazing team, uh, that you could ever ask for. And, uh, even though we are so big, our team is still relatively small. Like, yeah. In our marketing department, it's like four of us. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a pretty small operation. Um, each one of our team members cover a pretty big casting net of responsibilities, but, uh, we're all vested knee deep, if you will, into the brand. Um, and it's, uh, it's working pretty darn well so far.
2: Well, that's awesome. It's just kind of like one of those things where you get some good people and, uh, certain areas and some key areas and you can do a a lot with a little, you know, especially if everyone's, if everyone's all in and they believe in the brand and they're, you know, really believing that they're doing something. Honestly, that's just human nature in general. It's like, especially now it's like you want to get, be a part of something and feel like it's bigger than yourself. You can really push yourself and do these things. And if, if you can get behind like a company that you, that you personally believe in as a worker, it's like, that's pretty amazing. Cause it's kind of uh-huh. rare that you see that in a lot of stuff with, you know, corporate jobs other you know, and everything else like that or factory jobs. Like you're literally just a number. You're a worker. No one really cares about you. And you see the, the guys up in the penthouse suite or wherever where they're at and you never see them, but they're the ones calling the shots. Like you you don't ever feel like you're a part of anything. You're just there and you're just existing kind of thing. But with the firearms and outdoors community, it just seems like every company I've ever kind of talked to is like, it's pretty small. It's pretty niche Mm -hmm. and it's like everyone feels very, I guess, included, you know, or like they feel like they're part of something bigger.
0: Absolutely, and I, I think one of our one of our biggest assets is all of our um, employees are users of our product. You know, we 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 have guys like myself that are more dedicated to the hunting side uh, than just the competition side, but I, we got guys that, that their whole life is competitive shooting and reloading and and trying to figure out that next best mouse trap per se. Um, mm-hmm. But no matter what aspect um, of the outdoors and shooting uh, that you're into our guys are into some of those niches. That's awesome. So, so what's cool. Is, what's really cool is too, from my side of things. So like, um, I was, I did do some competitive shooting in the muzzleloading world back, uh, in the uh, late nineties and two thousands. So, uh, what made me a better hunter and more ethical hunter per se is, uh, w- what I learned on the bench from these competitive shooters. Cause they, they, these dudes tend to take things to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas hunters, we were like, you know, the old scenario is, oh, if it hit a populate, we're good. <laughs> yep. um, you know, and if these guys, these competitive guys, if they don't shoot the same hole, they're not good. Right. Um, so picking up what these guys do on the bench to, to be more accurate and, and a better shot, uh, our hunters can, can grab from that and become a better hunter. So like if in our inside of our group there, we've got some guys that are just – hardcore shooters or the darren DeBoer guide guy that you're talking about Mm -hmm. super fine man if you if you know if you're going man you know what i just want to take my hunting and shooting abilities to the next level can you give me some tricks that you guys use on the competitive side and transfer that over so that is a great niche inside of our company is we have people on both sides of the fence whether it's competitive shooters or hunters and we kind of cross-pollinate ideas together to make a better product at the end of the day
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just that correlation that you were saying between hunters and uh, competitive shooters, it's like when you're talking comp- shooting competitively, you're trying to shoot, yeah, like you said, the same hole every single time. You're trying to be so accurate. Like when that translation happens in hunting, you take a target shooter, put them out in the hunting world, it's like the only thing they really need to learn is how to find animals because uh-huh. if they see them, like they're like, yeah, okay, no problem. Like you're telling me I have, uh, you know, eight, 10 inch, I guess, um, range where I'm going to kill it. Like no problem, dude. I'll, I'll shoot this hair, you know, it's like, yeah, they're, not, yeah, they're so hair, precise. But... Yeah. Yeah. So it, I don't know. That's one. It's a really interesting. He, uh, I talked to my buddy Landon, which he does a lot of PRS stuff. He's not really a big hunter. He's more of just a straight competitive guy. But I talked to him like, dude, we need to go hunting sometime and get you back into it because he grew up hunting, but he just kind of fell out of it with between work and competing. He just hasn't had the time to hunt, I guess, really. But man, sure. I, I just know him. Like, if, if we get you on a, on on some deer, you're good. Like, I have He's full confidence. Sniper. You're gonna you're gonna I'll you're gonna a kill sniper him. out there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh yeah, it's it's amazing. So, um but. I don't want to take up your whole night here either, Tony, but do you have anything you really want to put out there before we get off? I guess, um, I feel like we covered quite a bit of the Bergara oh, side man. of things, at least. But
0: we definitely have, for sure. Yeah. I, I think we've given a ton of information. But you know, the, the greatest thing is at the end of the day, if if there's um, if listeners out there have questions on who we are and what we do, probably the best place to go get a full dose of that is our is our website and, and follow us on our social media pages. But our website is bergarausa.com. And it's loaded with all of our new models, which we keep up to date on all the information that you guys want to know about those particular models. And also when we release new stuff, obviously it's there too for, for data gathering to pick up some of that stuff. But, uh, uh, that's probably the best place to go gather all the information you need to know about who we are and what we're doing.
2: Hmm. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that's how I heard of the six GT two. Like, it was just on Instagram. I came across my feet. like, oh, mm-hmm. oh, Oh man, Brigard came on something different. That's cool. So.
0: Yeah, so that's kind of the nugget drop there when we do our social media through our uh, Facebook pages. Uh, you know, you got the Gar Enthusiast pages and you've got the Begar, uh Instagram page that you saw that on. But once we drop those nuggets and you, uh, for more information, more in-depth information, obviously we've updated the website at the same time. So when we drop those nuggets of new models, you can leave there and go straight to the website and get all the nuts and bolts about that mm-hmm. new product.
2: Yep, yep, absolutely. So. Well, uh, I appreciate you coming on, Tony. I really do. Um, it's been, man, it's an honor. Yeah. This is a really good time. It's really nice to kind of sit down and talk to someone that's been in the industry for so long and just really pick your brain about certain things that I've always been curious about. So I appreciate you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I appreciate the opportunity. And, uh, if I can ever be of service, please let me know.
2: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. So, all right. Well, you know, once again, thanks for coming on and, uh, I don't know, I guess we'll reconnect. I'm excited to see what you guys come out with during SHOT Show because I'm sure I'm probably not going to go to SHOT Show this year. I've never been, but eventually that's one of my goals in the next few years is to go to SHOT Show. Oh, you do need to land there for
0: sure. Yeah. You do need to land there because that's where everything happens for uh, the firearms industry, man. That's where all the nuggets get dropped at. But if you're not able to go and if you guys are listening here and you want to kind of keep up with us, just make sure you follow us on Instagram Mm -hmm. or through Facebook and we'll be dropping all the nuggets of everything that we released (laughs) there there'll be a bunch of live feeds coming in off the show floor right there of of what we're doing and the new products that release and so just stay tuned to that stuff and you will have the inside dope on everything new for 2024
2: awesome i'm excited for it all right well thanks tony we'll talk to you later take care yep you guys have a good
0: one